Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, it's Molly McAleer, and you are listening to Season 4 of Mother May I Sleep With Podcast. So Jason Shapiro, welcome back to the podcast for Season 4. Um, which we just, we went right into it. It used to be a, like a long period of time, but you did season one. Is that right? Yeah. With Full House, Full the House unauthorized, unauthorized story. Because we both know my sister, Jody Sweeten, pretty well. You know yeah. Steve in real life. Very real and very near and dear to my heart. Yes. Jamie. Yes. Um, I agree. So like we both had a personal connection to that movie. This one is something that I love 90210 so much. I, that's how I learned about rape, um, was the original airing of the first season where Brenda's in like a diner and a guy holds her hostage. And like she says after the fact, like I was afraid I was going to get raped. And we're just going right in there, you guys. This is why we, you know what, why we don't do the trigger warning on this show. It's as real as the show gets. Every week. You have an opportunity to be traumatized on Mother May I Sleep the Podcast. Um, but yeah, no, like I remember turning, I was at my babysitter's house and like her granddaughter was there who was like four or five years older than me. I always thought she was really cool. And I turned to her, I was like, what's a rape? And she was like, it's when someone like makes you have sex, but like you don't say yes. And I was like, fuck. Um, and that really like fucked me up. And then it was also around the time that In the Heights was on. How do you talk to an angel? I'm sure you know that famous theme. Song. I actually don't. Oh, we got to include in the a Heights. clip right now. How do you talk to an angel? How do you hold it close to where you But this show, like, would, would stack up. It would be 90210. And then 90210 was like, had, like, everyone in America had a boner for this show. It was like a show that parents didn't want you to watch, but that you'd somehow find a way to watch anyway. Um, for me, I was always at my babysitter's house, I think on Thursday nights when it was on. This show rivaled Cheers. Like, this was the alternative to Cheers for very few people, as you know. Um, but I have an extensive history with this show. From that to also, when I came to LA, I started going to Amoeba Records, and for a long time, they didn't have the Anna Nicole Show DVDs. So every week, I would go, going to look for that, but they wouldn't have it. So instead, I got really into 90210, and I started watching all the DVDs. And on one trip, my mom came out. My mom and I like to, you know, usually at the four-day mark, that's where she and I get it, start to fight, um, which I think four days is very typical, and now my limit. Um, but we... 
we completely like got through that trip, coasted on the fact that I had these 90210. Did you have the whole set? I had I had it like four or five seasons. And I, I didn't remember, even know they like, were on DVD, but I guess it makes sense. My mom, this is like a made up name, but my mom rolled over to me like at one point because we were sh- like sharing my twin bed or my double bed in my room. She rolled over to me and was like, you're Jason Abrams. And I was like, who? She's like, um, associate producer on 90210. And I was like, oh, we're there. Like we have the credits memorized. That's where we're at in this stage of watching. Oh yeah. So, um, I'm going to play, how do you talk to an angel really quick, but Sammy will have already played it. So it was a show about like a rock group in San Francisco, but they also, their theme song was also a radio hit. On Fox? Was it on yeah, Fox? Yeah, it was wow. right after, it would air right after. This is the, like, when I was, like, in when I was seven, I was, like, this is the fucking most banging jam I've ever heard in my life. And the guy who sings it's really fucking hot. And also, that guy with the long hair was very cool. Oh, this is so cool. And they're in the studio. Oh, I remember. I yeah, heard this. That does something for you, See, this right? was in the deep recesses of my mind because I was, you know, I was just a little younger, but, you yeah. know, ages are so I have far apart then. Yeah. So, I was I was just kind of hearing about 90210 and, yeah. like, New Kids on the Block, but I was still very much into Ninja Turtles and uh, Full House, but right. it was, yeah... So this is something later on now that you just mentioned, Turtle. I'm going to tease something that we're going to go through later. But at one point um, in the 90s, my cousin, remember people used to shave stuff into their head? Yeah. My cousin had a turtle shaved into his head. That's unbelievable. Not even like a ninja turtle, just like he fucking loved turtles. And it was like the profile of a turtle. I mean, I love turtles too, which by the way, I don't know if you know this, they never change their shell. They never, wait, in real life? Yeah. Or on the show? No, in real life, turtles are born with their shell and they never change. It's just like an exoskeleton. I didn't know that. Gotcha. They're not like crabs. Until about three episodes ago. Yeah, Yeah, turtles have been coming. I wouldn't say turtles are center square material. Mm -hmm. Like Juno Temple, who's currently in the Dirty John adaptation for HBO. Um, You know, they're not center square material, but they're, you know, tight. Um, so you have no history with this show outside of, you said a podcast? Yeah, I have a little history. So a couple years ago, I went on the 90210 podcast, which is called The Blaze. Mm-hmm. And I watched one episode and it was the episode where, um, Dylan's mom came back. And yes. he, it like drove him to drink. Um, I think it was called, I have it somewhere. It was. Oh, it's like, that's like season, um. Necessity is a mother. Yeah. Is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Maybe like season four or something. Donna's like playing with the stock market. Um, oh, like me with crypto. Yes. Yeah. Oh, crypto. Crypto's in the fucking tank right now. I know. Bitch. Are you in? I'm in and I'm down like 500%. Dude, I am down. Like, I, I, I'll just like, I'm, I do like, um, $35 a week. That's my like crypto money. Mm-hmm. I went down, um, $400 this week. Yeah. I bought a year ago and I haven't taken any out or put any back in. Right. And I was plan. I'm like, just wait till the holidays, wait till right around Thanksgiving. Yeah. You'll, you'll sell and you'll make some of your money back. 
it just keeps going down. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I did take my money out of Ethereum. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Ethereum's dead. We're done. And now I'm just in. I move Bitcoin. around. I'm, I, I move around. I, I have, um, I do all the Coinbase ones because I mm-hmm. feel like those are authenticated and like I'll fuck around in that. People, I have my friend though, my friend that I met through crypto. Um, he and I, like, he's the one who ex- explains the market to me every day. And, um, he's like, I don't even know what's going on anymore, but he does penny ones. Gotcha. See, I'm just an idiot and I Google when will crypto projections peak again? and they're like oh it's gonna get to fifty thousand dollars a coin right for bitcoin and it's just never gonna happen well so i think i'm i just think it's everyone's supposed to hold to 2022 that's supposed to be the big year which i'm really? like if i'm gonna leave yeah if you do the projections on everything i like litecoin honestly like i'm in on litecoin and i'm enjoying it i've seen now we're down to 41 dollars, but i bought at 52 all right anyway. Anyway, um, you guys, if you have crypto comments, hit us up at Twitter at M-M-I-S-W-P. Um, so what's oh, and other- so I listened to that podcast, which was awesome. And the other thing that I realized when I when I was on that podcast and watched that episode yeah. is that um, Brenda and Brandon are from Minnesota, yes. where I'm from. So they're very near and dear to my heart also. The hometown also. story. Yeah. And so I could kind of fact check some things, which I'll just tease I fact checked a big thing from this movie. I know what it is now. Yeah. And, and then my other entry into the 90210 universe is probably a one minute clip that I watch on YouTube like every week. Okay. And someone, um, put fish music over Mm. a 90210 dance party. Okay. It's really good. It works perfectly. And where was the dance party? It was in someone's backyard. Okay, send that clip over because yeah. we'll post it on the Instagram. Yeah, I'm gonna find it right okay. after. Um, well, this is thrilling then to do this. And this movie, I will say, as a fan of the show, um, it's very similar to the Full House movie, except, you know, these are real adults. This isn't like Bob Saget and like the guys and like the three little girls. This is like, these are adults. These are fully formed human beings. So it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more high stakes in a way. This is also, no, the second appearance of Tori Spelling on our show so far. We just did Death of a Cheerleader. So this is pretty big as she is my, you know, my muse. So we open up with um, the B-52s Rome, which is a nice, like, little hit for them. They did this. They they bought it. Um, Again, though, it had one of the jankiest openings I've ever seen. But I'll yeah. let you... Well, no, I mean, explain. So they're like pushing this security guards pushing a blue tub through the back alley of like what we can only assume is a mall and there's girls screaming everywhere. It's very similar to what they did in Full House and Britney Ever After to sort of establish fame. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Breaking Bad style opening where they're like, let's get you in the shit. Right. And then let's go back and show you how we got there. By the way, the most common device in Lifetime movies is yes. they love to cut right to... Because there's not a lot of like... They can't afford a lot, yeah. you know? So they have to like... High drama. Highest point, yeah. So a security guard, like he looks like he fears for his life. Mm-hmm. There's that too. He's a great actor. When we co- like go back to this moment, like I was like, oh, he's actually like fucking great. Sets up in a really interesting way that is a theme throughout this movie. Yeah. Is that teenagers are mysterious, scary, and no one knows what to do with them. Yes, exactly. Well, like, 
they really were during this time because there was no like channeling towards the internet or anything like that. Like this was like if you knew Luke Perry and Jason Priestley were going to be at your fucking mall, panties dropped, man. Mm-hmm. Like you just like lost your mind and you went. So um, the guys like get out at the alley and then Luke Perry says, what's the worst that can happen? At least we know we've made it. Or was it Jason Priestley who said that? I think he did, yeah. Jason Priestley was also like... You know, Brandon Walsh is one of my least favorite characters in the history of television. Like, I actually think I really hate him. What do you hate about him? Um, he's just as, like, a god complex. He's, like, like fucking... He's a martyr. He's just a little bitch. Like, he's always, like, the one turning his friends in at every twist and turn. And, like, you know, if he fucks up with at the peach pit once, he, like, you know, puts himself on a cross. Like, when Nate thought he was going to lose Nate, um, when Nat... Was it Nat who ran the Peach Pit and the actor's name was Al? I can't fact check. I don't know. I have no reference. But when he was about to lose the Peach Pit, Brandon's like, you know what? I'm going to like sell my car and I'm going to quit high school and like work at the Peach Pit and like we're going to like run a fundraiser. And it's like, dude, a grown ass man almost lost his business. Like you don't need to insert yourself into this. You quitting high school to save a diner is that's not normal that's like abnormal behavior that's mental that's mental health issues yeah and i think what it it's reminding me of a reference that i get a little more is it's a little like ryan in the oc i never watched the oc ryan had a total god complex yeah he was always gonna just like destroy his life just real stick up like one old lady or something yeah real just fuck just ugh, like and I'm, and I am like a rule follower and was like a complete overachiever, like through mo- throughout most of my life. And I just don't relate to that behavior. I don't understand it. And I think it's almost like that's their version of being great. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't, I, maybe I don't work on this or that or like have a passion outside of my muscle car, but like I'm, I'm, I'm here saving the universe. So. Real douche. So it's um, Indianapolis, 1992. I don't know why I wrote that again. So the title comes up and it says, Unauthorized Beverly Hills 90210 Story. It's in a nice blue font that we see consistently throughout. It's like an electric blue and I think very true to the original logo. Um, that was the last time. So we open up on Spelling Entertainment. It's two years earlier. We see the great Aaron Spelling. He's smoking like an old-timey-ass pipe in his office, which is amazing. Um, I want to acknowledge before we play the clip that all of these characters are cartoons. Aaron Spelling is... They're going for, like, humor in this in a way that I kind of normally don't appreciate or like in a Lifetime movie. It's too self-aware. Yeah, and what was crazy about it, I mean, it's perfect that you said cartoon because it's Dan Castaneda or Castaneda, however you say it, Castaneda, Uh, who plays Homer yeah. on The Simpsons. And so he's just doing a weird cartoony voice, uh, you know, and I just, all I can think of is Dan Castellali. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I think <laughs> the guys that rival that, they don't come close, but are the executives. And were they brothers? It was so weird. They were just like two of the same It was same like Bill and Will. And like, they, guy. you know, I think it was just supposed to be like generic loser number one and generic loser number two. Like, there was definitely a power structure within them mm-hmm. where you kind of are wondering at some point, are they brothers? 
are they fucking? Yeah. But like ultimately, I think what they were supposed to do is like kind of show the neutered executive person that like. They delight in things that I find atrocious. They're afraid of all the things that are bold and exciting. And um, they're the ones to watch outside of spelling. And they do the great thing. Spelling does it, but they're just like feeding off of it. Is they does the great thing of just referring to this town. And right. It's just the best. Which is like also... I I was like, I, it kind of struck a fear in me at certain points because I was like, oh my God, that is how people think. Um, and it was disturbing. So I want to play this whole beginning scene because this is where it really all begins. Um, 45 seconds to 408. Um, let's, let's go there. Mr. Spelling, the Fox people are here. Send him in. Gentlemen, have you seen the trades today? Bill, tell me. This is the first time in 30 years I don't have a show on the air. We understand that. You don't think I know the town loves it? That spelling's through? You don't think I hear that? I don't think that's true, Aaron. Will, have you heard that? No, no, I, I haven't heard that. See, we haven't heard that. At least we have the new Charlie's Angels. Now, we just need two more girls. And Actually, that's what we came to talk about. Is this about Taya Leone? Tell Barry I'm not making the show without her. No, no, it's not about Taya, Aaron. It's... Well, Bill? Frankly... There are doubts about whether this concept has legs anymore. Three beautiful women playing detectives. Let me put those doubts to rest right here. It was already a hit. Yes, but that was over a decade ago, Aaron. It is almost 1990, so... You're not killing Charlie's Angels! Mr. Diller is looking for innovative programming, not... Oh, I get the picture. And what does my friend Barry suggest is innovative? Aliens, robot cops, paranormal private investigators... Teenagers. Teenagers. Fox has acquired merchandising rights to Beverly Hills High School. We have a terrific young writer named Darren Starr. Now, he sees the show as sort of a 30-something for teenagers. One that explores the, the challenges that face kids as we head off into the new decade. Would you be interested in producing this? No. Why? Because I make mind candy. I don't seek to reflect the mood of the times. I seek to escape it. And following high school kids around ain't an escape. Well, I I'm sorry, Aaron, but that's all we have. Good afternoon. about teenagers, Aaron. I'm not interested, my friend. You guys already came to me with this. I know they did. That's why I'm calling you personally to tell you to make the show with me. Barry, what the 
It looks like fucking Versailles. Like, yeah. this is, it really looks in pretty in amazing, especially on the budget that they're at. I'm assuming that this, what we're seeing right here, is not the exterior of what we just saw. But the house looked pretty grand. Yeah. Um, and we only see that set one other time, um, which is during the table read. Very exciting. Very um, good. Very good part of the movie. The merchandising rights to Beverly Hills High School. See, that I don't get because they didn't, it wasn't Beverly Hills High School, was it? It was like, it had some other name. It was a public school though. Um, and I feel like even if it was private, thinking about someone being like, oh, the merchandising rights to Lexington High School, like where I went doesn't is like. Doesn't sense. Um, yeah. Let me look it up. Beverly Hills High School. No. Oh, no, because. Beverly is not called Beverly Hills High School. It's just West called Beverly. Beverly. Oh, okay. So there's West Beverly and then there's Beverly Hills. There is a Beverly Hills High School. Okay. But West Beverly High School is what they called it on the show. Gotcha. So then they didn't really use the merchandising rights, did they? But either way, it's why weird. does a high school, are, are you uh, like it's, it's BHUSD. Like that's a public ass school. Why yeah. do they have merchandising rights? That feels very, bankrupt and like there's something weird going on there it's very strange and i guess the other thing i'll just tell you a little entry into this show that i also had um a good portion of my good friends went to beverly high school and i know i would you. always yeah. ask them if they watched this show when they were younger and it informed their high school experience and everyone was decidedly no well, I know like people who were like a few years older than me um that went there and not only did they know, but they loved the show. Oh, that's show. awesome. Like and most of the people by the way are pro Brenda, which I've always found to be an insane stance. There's no one more unlikable than the Walsh twins. They are the most unlikable like tell me that it's, you can't sell a show about unlikable people because that's what this like these two are like, come on now. I get, I'm, I'm getting like upset about it. Yeah, that. I was getting that just from the movie. Um, so I'm going to tell you some facts about the spelling manor, which it's in, uh, Homely Hills, which I think is also where the Playboy Mansion was. Um, but it was constructed in 1988 for television producer Aaron Spelling. It's the largest home in Los Angeles County. It's currently owned by British heiress Petra Stunt and daughter a Formula One racing magnate, Bernie Ecclestone. Oh, yeah, Ecclestone. She, do you know that for real? No. Okay. <laughs> I was like, come on now. <laughs> we both, like, we don't know this loser. So, by the way, loser, like, owns the biggest, but, like, that just goes to show, like, literally, if I saw this man on the street, I'd be like, loser. Like, yeah, it's very Ecclestone. Yeah, it's very Ecclestone, but also it's very Los Angeles stone. Like, mm -hmm. it's very just so stupid. So, he purchased it in um 2011 for $85 million. It had been on... So, it was at a cool 150 on the market for years. 
wind up going for 85. That's quite the hit for Candy Spelling. Wow. Which, by the way, they never include in like the title cards at the end or like the cards at the end. They never say Tori Spelling only inherited, um, I think it was 800,000 of her father's fortune. And same with her brother. She's got to be hurting. I mean, yeah, she's like seven reality shows in to like also having like an annual photo shoot at the <sighs> Booze Pumpkin Patch in Studio City. How like, did that happen? Why did he do that? It was um, like a punishment, I think, for rebellion. Karen. I think Candy also like her mom was punishing. So Aaron comes out. He sees Tori um, sunbathing by the pool with a friend. He comes out to the pool a little bit later and he sees that she's reading through the scripts in his briefcase. Like very, it's a very TV moment. Um, she's like a little scamp. Um, and he's like, do you like anything? She's like, no way. No, there's nothing here for me. It's only adult shows. You only do things with old people. You should do something young. There's a lot of hot young people out there. Um, and he says, what have I always told you? Who do I make television for? She's like the audience. And he says, exactly. Audience satisfaction. That's the secret. That's the secret that built this house, which is a lot to live under, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I'll, did you notice there's a platter of like fruit skewers next to her that you can see? And when she's by the pool? Yeah. No, that's, she that's has, a great touch though. It looks like, yeah. And I'm just like, this bitch eating tropical fruit. Yeah. Who's putting that out every day? I guess they have a whole staff. I mean, they have totally a full staff, but I was like, that is to be like giving notes to someone when you have a fruit platter next to you. So basically like Tori talks him into the idea that he should go for this. He pulls out his phone and he calls Barry Diller. Um, Barry's like, He's like, I want to talk about teenagers, which I thought was real gross and definitely supposed to be like a button on the scene that was a joke. But like, that's not a joke for no, Aaron that... Spelling to be calling Barry Diller to talk about teenagers. Yeah. You know? That was just business, which it's funny that teenagers were such a commodity then. Yeah. And so unknown that they're like, we got to crack this teenager thing. It also sounds real, real pervy though. Yeah, it's very You know pervy. what I mean? So, Probably a pervy guy. I mean, ever yeah, most people are a little pervy. Um, so Luke Perry is working as a construction worker. This is a very famous tidbit. They did such a good job in this movie of taking things that are genuinely well-covered facts about this show. Like, everything's from the uh, true Hollywood story, basically. Yeah, so the roommate coming up, I was like, okay, I get it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm horned up for this scene. Yes. So, Luke Perry's co-workers, they have this whole bit being like, hey, you ever met Sharon Stone? You ever did this? So, like, it's this whole thing that he's this pretty boy, sort of like a loser. And at one point, I couldn't tell if his co-workers were slightly in awe of him or just, like, supposed to be a little bit slow till the other boss shows up and fully calls all of them stupid. Yeah. And he says that he's leaving his job. He wants Luke Perry to take over the site. But he can't be going on auditions anymore. It's just like not what he needs from a site manager. Luke's like, I'm into it, man. Like, I'm I'm done with this town. I think I've seen the best of my days. Then we get to Jenny Garth and her agent eating, I think her agent, eating breakfast at some sort of cafe. And her agent tells her, like, congratulations. You just booked um, Hall High. It's on NBC. It's the musical show. And Jenny Garth's like... Nah, like I don't sing. I can't, I'm not good at this. Or he's just like, who cares? Say yes, which is such like, that is such misdirection because she fully is like, well, I should hold out and see if I get another show because I actually want to be good on it. Um, which is a lot for a young 
Scarlett to kind of say, to stand up for herself and say that, I, I, I felt. Yeah, she had, right there I could see like that she just had the direction and she was like, I'm making my career what I want it to be. And I was rooting for her. And she should have because Jenny Garth is iconic. Like, she's so beautiful. She's what I consider the biggest teeth actress in all of television history. This movie did such a good job with the casting. The only person I felt wasn't the two people I felt weren't completely reminiscent of the character they were playing were Bag, Brian Austin Green, and Tori Spalling. I call him Bag throughout most of this just because, yeah. you know, Brian felt long to me. And then Brian Austin Green. Too long. Way too long. Question, though, really quick. So, like, with Luke Perry, I did that actor even capture, like, a percentage of Luke Perry's actual charisma? Did he feel that he did? Um, I would say that the way that he nailed the audition scene when he comes back and they create the Dylan character, for a lot of you, you might not know, there was no Dylan in the original script. They wrote him in and they wrote him in seamlessly. And I believe that the original episode that he premiered in was called The Green Wall which is about when you're surfing and like the riptide like comes over you and you're in like the green wall. And he's like, sometimes you're in a green wall, but then you come out the other side and like there's sunshine and you survive the green wall. Um, Yeah, that spoke to a lot of people. But also the safety of the green wall, like almost it felt like being in a womb sort of. Like it was one of those speeches. Beautiful. But I want to cut to this because this is one of my favorite um, true stories and also just like this is so awkward. But apparently Gabrielle Carteris was still being represented at the age of 30 by her childhood acting agent. Um, So we're going to cut to New York City right now, baby. New York City, hot stuff, Manhattan. Yes. Okay, let's talk about them. How about three sisters at the roundabout? You were too young for it. Well, there's the seagull at Lincoln Center. You were too old for it. Okay. What I really want to do is go to L.A. for pilot season. I have a friend there that I can stay with. Well, honey, you've tried that. Twice. Well, sometimes these things take time. Please sit. I'm going to be honest with you, Gabrielle. (laughs) Have you not been up until this point? I think it might be a little late in the game for Los Angeles. Aren't you supposed to be giving me the pep talk here? Honey, I'm sorry. But the hard reality is this business is about two things that you don't have very much of. Jeez. (laughs) You're not going to make it at almost 30 in Hollywood. Get some beers, play some pool, meet some girls. Sounds perfect. Let's mm. do it. They uh, say if your show is coming back? Nah, just finished last episode today. Mm. Now we wait. Oh, come on, man. You said you'd clean today. It stinks in here. Uh-uh. <laughs> hey. 
script delivery for... Yeah, Jason Priestley, that's me. No, actually, it's for Brad Pitt. Pitt's not home. Come to think of it, he's barely ever home these days. I'll take it. Thanks. Thank you. All right, Let's see what he's got. Thelma and Louise. What's that? No clue, dude. Sounds like a chick flick. And the wire and I auditioning for it. You should be. You're definitely as pretty as Pitt. Uh, very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> okay, first of all, we just froze on some major homoeroticism, which I'm so sure existed in that apartment in yeah. a heavy way. Yeah, they're but wrestling. Jason Priestley is like, he's a physical dude. Like, and, and they captured that so well in this movie. Where like, he was always just like fucking leaning on people during conversations. And like, you see this throughout this whole thing. I completely believe that he would wrestle his roommates on the regular. But like, this whole scene reminds me so much of Sean William Scott's Cribs episode. Do you remember that? I didn't see that. Where literally like, you know, he was doing kind of a bit on how he was a surprisingly struggling actor and was living that life still, because he'd really only done American Pie, which was huge, but like he still was living in his struggle apartment. Yeah. So there's like broken IKEA bookshelves everywhere. Like he showed, I remember him showing off a copy of the DVD of like, I want to, no, it wasn't, maybe The Matrix. I wanted, I wanted to say I Creed, but it wasn't Creed, but like it was like some sort of like. The Matrix would have lined up. Yeah, and he time. also had, um, of course, Scarface, but like his place was, he didn't make his bed. It was <laughs> disgusting. There was a bachelor Hollywood apartment with carpet stains. Was he wrestling with anyone? Um, no, but that seems like he would, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Sean He's got William that wrestling Scott. charisma. Yeah. The- there is a certain thing where like if you're a like powerful enough person or you feel very powerful, right. you just want to like lean on people and you want to wrestle them and kind of just like, handle people dominant physical contact yeah i saw it recently real quick with in some uh interviews for mid 90s okay jonah hill was feeling very like uh charismatic and kind of like just leaning on the the boy character okay uh sunny yeah just like every time they're around jonah hill was just like kind of their bff leaning on him and wrestling him and it was just because you know he jonah felt very powerful yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't really, yeah, I don't really know, but I will say, yeah, that's, that's surprising too, because I d- wouldn't expect that from a Jonah Hill. But I think it was because there was a child around and he's like, oh, I can, I, I, I'm, I oh, have power over this pal. child. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're I'm right. the alpha here. Yeah. You're right. Cool. So, um, we cut to Tori reading by the pool at night and she thanks the maid for taking away a pitcher of lemonade. Um, is like definitely the same person. So, um, the first three, right? They're more the same. No, no, no. She gets to Beverly Hills 90210, less than a page, and she's turned on. She's so excited. So, Spelling's in his office. He's on a conference call. He can't find the Walshes. He can't get the perfect er- uh, actor. Sorry, he can't get the perfect actor that he wants. So, Tori pokes her head in. Uh, there are a wealth of teen shows on the air and not enough talented big names to go around, basically. That's the issue. Um, and he's like, are you telling me I'm B-League? Which is another moment where I'm just like, oh, that is a rough point. Especially when you're Aaron Spelling and have nothing but home runs. Oh, yeah. To wake up one day and realize that like the hottest actors aren't available for you, that's rough. But mm-hmm. also, is it? But it is. 
Yeah, the 90s are a whole new thing, and he's a little behind the curve. Yeah. So Tori's like, you know what? I know all the hot actors. What about Jason Priestley? He's just coming off of Sister Kate. Um, and I love that he says to her, like, oh, that show's not returning. And I'm like, oh, that's so weird that she grew up with, like, industry lingo yes. in the house. That's so odd to me. So um, she says, do you know about Shannon Doherty? So then Brenda and Brandon are doing their first scene together, which if you've ever watched this show as an adult after watching it as a kid, you'd be shocked to see how erotic these scenes are between a twin brother and sister. That's what I learned when I watched that episode with no context. I was just like, is is this a storyline that the brother and sister are hooking up? Yeah. And it never is. No. Uh, from what I've heard. But like they constantly, like she's constantly like, touching him. And we see a little bit of this during the audition scene, which we're not going to play. But there is a moment where she like kind of leans forward and grabs the collar of his shirt and just like rubs it between her fingers in a way yeah. that I'm like, nah, bitch, like no one touches their brother like that. I have seen some male, female sibling or twins that are very close and feely touchy. Fluid. I've seen some that couldn't be farther apart, but I, I kind of get it. You know, they shared a womb. They shared a it's womb. It's not sexual. Yeah, parallel play for sure. Yeah, but... Either way, it, it comes off as sexual on the show. Well, because Brennan and Shannon, or Jason and Shannon, were likely very attracted to one yeah. another, which is like, I guess, the whole undertone, but you don't really realize that till you see it. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so Darren Starr, the creator, this is where we see him for the first time. Darren Starr, of course, went on to create Sex and the City. He's a television icon. So he leans forward and he goes, hi, guys. I just want to remind you that you're siblings. And then there's a very long pause. Then he goes, if you could just, and he motions them apart. There, um, there's a whole back and forth moment. Um, but let's just cut to where Lou Perry changed the course of history here because we needed a tough guy. Uh, 1415 to 1623. They told me I'm reading for the role of, uh... Steve Sanders. Sliding doors moment. Whenever you're ready, Luke. I'm, I'm not ready, so... That's power right there. That's big okay. dick energy. Sure. That yes. is really... I don't use... I don't throw that around. I take it very seriously. I mean, those sideburns are iconic. I'm physically not right for this, right? I mean, I'm not Steve Sanders. Why the do you let us worry about say that? that? I've... All the same to you, I'd, I'd like to worry about it. Okay. Worry away. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm having trouble connecting with this character. Take your I time. I feel like I'm getting just Machine Gun Kelly kid. vibes. I don't know yeah. what's going on here. It's like not ego, it's just pure... No so confidence, knowing who you are. They like confidence. Attitude. Sharp threads and a sweet ride, now that doesn't hurt either. I guess you drive a muscle car. I don't bet. It's kind of like my thing. Okay, good. Uh, Luke, uh, let's try it from the top. On my second Hi, viewing, I'm Tori he's Mitchell, a and I'll lot be more priestly. Yeah. Okay, great. So, uh, Tori. And she or, uh, a lot more. Um, yes. I love this project. I'm so glad my Dylan. agent found Dylan. out about this. Okay. She's totally on top of what's cool right now. Oh, good. Okay, so let's begin. You're going to fit in fine here. It's a pretty cool school once you get used to it. I'm sure you're right. It's just completely and totally different from Minnesota, you know? Well, you should definitely come to the party on Friday night. <laughs> There's going to be tons of hot guys there. Tori, that was great. Really? Really? <laughs> okay. Excellent. Thanks for seeing me. Of course. 
<laughs> well, who would have known? This Tori Mitchell <laughs> is good. She sure is likable. But the network wants to offer the role of Kelly to Jenny Garth. Then I guess we found our Donna Martin, huh? You know, like that was just a like a billion dollar idea. That reaction, she was just like, "Wow, I never even considered that." Absolutely, they absolutely like. I, the, look at this woman's face. Like you, first of all, it's intercut with her looking at donuts right now. Let me take a picture <laughs> of this because this is a weird place we happen to pause. And she for sure walked into the other room and <laughs> pretended like it was her idea. Oh, for sure. But like, also, does she not seem fully fucking aroused by yes. this this guy? Like. It's like, dude, I, first of all, this casting assistant is probably one of the better actors in this film. Mm -hmm. And I love it when the, like, lower side characters really bring up the average of the whole movie, like the guy who pushes the cart in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is Hollywood baby is like, I really do think that assistant did kind of change the course of history. I don't think that did occur to her. Yeah, no. And that's, it, it's just the way the assistant boss mentality works where, you know, then in, in Hollywood and every other place in this town, mm. the boss goes off and it's their idea and it changes history. Hollywood baby. So we're back at the spelling mansion. It's the pilot table read. There's delicate cakes and desserts being pushed around by staff, all in white gloves, by the way, which was a nice touch. Shannon is like confident. She comes in, she grabs a piece of lemon cake from that thing. No one else is really eating. Um, and she just like walks in the room. Gabrielle and Jenny, they, they all walk in together and they're both like, have a re like they're reverential to her like they're very she's the she's the queen bee because she had done like little house on the prairie and stuff like that she was like an old person in this business oh, at this yeah. point so jenny's like oh wow these guys are hot like the only person i really know is jason and shannon says in the most pointed way how do you know jason and it actually it triggered me as a woman i was just like Oh my God, like get off my nuts, like go for Jason. Like I, it was really, um, overwhelming for me. And I think the actress did a great job of channeling Shannon Doherty the entire movie. Um, this cast really, I think out of Save by the Bell, Full House and this, I know they did a Melrose Place movie, but I never watched that show. So I can't really speak to that, but they, this movie, I think did the best with casting people that were able to channel these characters. Yeah, maybe it was that I haven't seen the show very much, but I was just kind of feeling it for them and really disappearing into this portrayal. Yeah, it felt right, right? Mm -hmm. Felt good. So, um, there's a big, you know, conversation about who's the old people in the room, who are the young people. Tori and David or Tori and Bag are instantly like drawn together and they just, see, they are the younger couple on the show. They're the younger people, but they wind up being a couple, I think, probably because of this natural bond they had. So like props to Darren Starr and the rest of the writing team. Just for seeing that. You have to see who's vibing at the early table reads. We find out like later on, they're like, Hey, this is Aaron Spelling. This is after like the winter dance finale, which is a huge moment on the show. Brenda loses her virginity, but he's like, Hey, this is Aaron Spelling. We need a writing staff for 90210. And I was like, are you telling me Darren Starr wrote the entire first season of this? Because wow. if so, like we need to give retroactive Emmys for that because there's some real bangers in the first season of this show that were really revolutionary. 
Um, so I don't know if you caught this, but there's a point where Jason Priestley and Ian Ziering, uh, Ian Ziering, Ian Ziering, they do a like high five. That is the exact high five that they do at the beginning of the show. When it's like da na 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 na, and the first like clap clap is them doing the high five. Wow. So I'm like, oh shit, like this is an iconic high five, like sliding doors moment. Oh, um, real quick about Ian Ziering. The other thing that I remember mm. of my knowledge of this show as a kid, mm-hmm. when I was a really young kid, you know, a, a nice little Jewish boy in Minnesota, everyone knew that Ian Ziering was a Jewish guy mm. and there were not a lot of uh, hot young Jewish actors on TV. So that was like a really big notch on our belt. I have to say, I don't think to this day I knew he was Jewish. That might be my first recognition of that. Yeah, that was really big in the the Hebrew school. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think Hollywood buries, um, you know, representation at Mm -hmm. every turn. Yeah. Um, So at one point, like, Bag and Tori are talking and Tori looks over and she like sneers at them like, the the way that I would when like someone's dad would show up at a slumber party and I'd just be like, when does that man leave? And she goes, they're really old. And Brian Austin Green goes, I know, it's really sad. And she says, I heard the blonde guy is 27 or something. And he says, what do you think they're talking about? Their favorite Golden Girls episode? Totally. Or how much they love Bob Hope. Um, which like, like sick diss for sure. But also, like, I felt this was very accurate. Like, if when I was 16, if I saw a 27-year-old, I'd be like, get that man out of the room. Well, yeah. I mean, and all of these people, you know, when we were watching Mm -hmm. or knowing about it and were much younger, these were the oldest people. Teenagers were the oldest people. So, it's just like these these jumps. It's crazy. So imagine being a 16 year old looking. I mean, when I was 16, I didn't want to be in a, a room with a sexual predator or like a man who was 27 years old yeah. in my mind. I thought my teachers were like a hundred. Yeah. Disgusting. So spelling comes in to start the read. Shannon right away draws a line and she's like, I think I should be sitting next to Jason. We are Brendan and Brenda or Brendan and Brenda. Yeah. Oh God. I forgot that. Until I just said it out loud that their parents were that tacky. tacky. Yeah. Ooh, embarrassing. Yes. Um, so, which was, by the way, the trend at the time. Like, we're all kids, like, it'd be like Tino and Tina. Yeah. Um, or, or those the family that, like, had all, like, F names or, like, D names. Right. You know, that was cool. So, um, he's like, okay, casual, whatever. They, they all move. They all work around Shannon's expectations. So the cast can't believe how much they have going for them. It's going to be an amazing experience. They're all like saying like, you don't get it, man. We're on a network show. This is Ian Ziering who's like fucking 45 years old telling these children like, here's how it works in Hollywood, baby. We're going to have an executive producer that's a shit. We're on a hit network show. We're like their lead drama. We're going to be top shelf. Guess what, you guys? No, they're not. Let's play 1918 to 21 minutes. And who lives here? It's outside the <laughs> shitty warehouse where they're going to, or Trust the studio they'll be meals, working at. Spas, gyms, the whole thing. Maybe. Now, it's very important that the cast of a big network show be comfortable and well taken care of. Or 
Maybe not. Are they serious? You think they could have cleaned up for us? This is almost guys sleeping everywhere. Weren't they expecting us? It's gonna be great. I think I just saw a cop. Everything's gonna be fine. What the hell is this? It's gross. It's Van Nuys. Nine one four zero two. This place should be condemned. This is a soundstage or detention center. Maybe inside's nicer. Yeah, right. So I guess you're gonna be the optimist of the group, huh? Pretty much the optimist of every group. <laughs> I'm Chad, first AD. Oh shit, did you see that? Yeah, where do you think I'm looking? As you've just learned, we're sort of in the middle of the porn district here. <laughs> Seriously? That's awesome. You're just a child. Look away. Hey, hey, hey. I don't know what you guys are complaining about. This you've known some first great. ADs okay. in your life, right? Yeah. Everyone inside. Does Chad seem like a first AD? Oh. No. Not at all. Chad seems like the lead PA. He just seems like he's not stressed about anything. And no. Like, you know, historically, first ADs like have a very they short life. They carry the weight of everything. Expectancy because yeah. of that. Yeah. So Chad, I, that... Probably could have been thought about a little more, but that's all right. Well, the best part is that Jason Priestley fully gives Brian Austin Green a nuggie. Like, when they're talking, he's like, look away from that. Like, you know, like, just, like, I gotta physically touch you, man. Like, something about this just does something for me. It's so strange, his, like, strange, his physical dominance. They kind of, like, they talk about it later, right? How they're hanging out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically what we see is like, they're showing up to a shitty studio. This is a brand new show. You know, Fox does, you pointed this out, Fox, it's a brand new network, but at the same time, at this point they had the Simpsons, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I I guess they must've had like three years going. Yeah. I think it probably started in like 87. They had married with children and like, I could see it going both ways. I could see someone young thinking like, oh, this must mean they have money as opposed to, okay, this is a budget production. However, this is Aaron Spelling. I'm surprised that they got stuck in a warehouse in Van Nuys that from when we see it, it looks like a yard sale in yes. there when we first go in. So um, Shannon, she's very sour about all of this. We find out that, and this winds up being a major plot device, so I'm not just being like picky here. We find out that like one through seven, they all live on the call sheet in a different you know, and it's different ascension, right? And so number one gets the number one dressing room. So we kind of go through this montage of seeing everyone's dressing room. And as we get to a slightly bigger star, the dressing rooms are less and less chaotic. But basically all of these rooms are like the room that for me, it's my garage. Like everyone has a room in their house that's just like, oof, we cannot show mm-hmm. the world that. And um, every single room in this looks like that. But when we get to Shannon's room, it actually is, like, pretty nice. It has a dress form and a vanity. This is clearly, like, an old Hollywood studio, too, because there's a lot of props that are from, like, a different era and, like, very genuinely so. Um, so the dress form, like, looks very old-fashioned and cool. But that was preserved. Like, that seems like the last person who was in there was, like, some... It, might, it could have been Audrey Hepburn, but yeah. I fucking know. And as a film theory student, I think they did a 
wonderful job of using the mise-en-scene mm. to really mm. tell you about what the movie's actually about. Mm-hmm. And it's about status of the actors and actresses. You know and- what? I'm going to break out my film theory degree as well and say, I, I see that there and I enjoy that from you. Yeah, thank you. You're very right. Um, but you're right. No, they use that as a complete device the entire time. It's always set on the soundstage, always. Every single season, that's where we come back, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's yeah. nice, I think, writing on this behalf. I know. I really have story. to give it to the screenwriter in some places. Because the dialogue is terrible. Yeah. Overall. But you're setting a mood, and you're, you're letting us know what's important with the visuals. Okay. I'm going to ask you to remember this, because there's a few huge things, but... I wonder if they're direction or writing, and I can't tell. So I want to know your insight on them. Um, okay. Because there's, yeah. a, there's a couple moments that come up. Perfect. Okay. So we're filming the pilot now. And we see that Brendan and Brenda are really like, they're running through their dialogue really quickly. We get right away that Shannon is like a very professional actress. She knows her shit when she comes to set, which is interesting because that will be the thing that carries her throughout most of this movie. Um, Jason invites Jenny to Pink's hot dogs later in her dressing room. And they're doing like a little bit where he's like, you like relish on your hot dog. She's like, as long as it's sweet. And like, she can't even contain her laughter. So all these people are basically about to fuck from what mm-hmm. we can get. Um, scene 21, take two of the pilots. Steve and Kelly talk at the lockers. The crew watches on. Brian Austin, can, uh, Brian Austin Green can't believe he's wearing what will later become a classic David shirt where he has these, loud, very like tribal printed shirts, a lot of like spots. I would say it's almost like a Sinbad shirt. Like it reminded me a lot of like a nineties comedian. Would he wear a white shirt under it? I forget this look. He would wear like a blazer and okay. then like an overly patterned shirt. Yeah. And like that was his look, which at the time he thought was lame. But I'm like, David Silver is one of the sharpest boys in the school. We gotta mm-hmm. give it up to David Silver. So which they never touch on the fact that David Silver's dad and um Kelly Kelly's mom get married. Wow. And they yeah. become step siblings. They never touch on that in this That movie. is that later seasons? Um no, that's like season three. I gotta watch the show. It's like season two or three. Yeah. It like happens really quick. Also, David's friend kills himself. Or he accidentally Oof. dies, but for like a self like a gunshot wound. Oh, no. Um so it was like don't play with guns. Yeah. So um they're having a little like like set flirtation between Jason and Brian Austin Green where they're like saying like, Hey, aren't you supposed to have a chaperone on set? And he goes, go back to making out with the mirror. So we get the older brother, younger brother vibe that's going on here. Now we're three weeks later, Darren and Aaron um, are just outside of a private screening room. And he's like telling the kids, great job. Like you're, you know, the show did We're like, we just got to add the music, a little bit of like music cues. We're going to be fine. And the kids look, so miserable as they leave this room. And I can only imagine what that's like to spend weeks of your life doing an Aaron Spelling pilot thinking it's going to be one thing and walking in and seeing, you know, this, they did, they did one of the first backdoor pilots on this movie. Like the first, the, or on the show, the first episode was a two hour movie. Wow. And I think that that happened retroactively. I don't think that was supposed to be the case, but the first, like episode of this show was a two hour made for TV movie. And then they stepped into the show. So like in a way, like I love that model and I think it should be brought back because you can just do so much in like the two hour TV movie version of it. 
But this was, um, yeah, this was the, one of the first backdoor pilots that I can think of. That's amazing. Um, so let's play, um, you know, Gabrielle, she's, she knows the game. She's 30 years old. She's been with a child agent until she was 30. That's like literally seeing your child. That's like seeing your pediatrician when you're 30. It's not, it's not really. So she is realistic. She comes out and we're going to play 2426 to 2831. There's a lot of meat here. Positions we need our girls to trail for a couple weeks. That'll be absolutely no problem. Hey, but you should know you work mostly on tips and this is Beverly Hills. Great. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Oh, um, when can you start? As soon as possible. I mean, what? Not exactly as soon as possible. See, I'm an actress and I just shot a pilot for this Fox show and... Wait a minute, you just shot a pilot for a network television show and you're applying for a hostess position? Why? Because I just saw it. The pilot's just not working. Oh, I've seen worse, Darren, believe me. That's encouraging. It's just missing something. It's missing something big. Okay, but we still have 12 more episodes to figure that out, right? Just because Fox is paying for 13 episodes doesn't mean they have to make them. Darren, I love all these kids. I really do. And what you're writing is as true to the teenage experience as can be. Thanks, I'm really trying. And I think that we have the right team in place here. We do, and I have big plans for you and I. You're a special talent. Thanks, Aaron. That means a lot. But first, we have to save this show. Got it? Yes. Okay, so what do we do? It needs an edge. Everyone is so damn polished. The show needs some balls. I agree. Maybe these kids are just too nice and civil. Brandon Walsh is like Generation X's George Bailey. What we need is a bad boy. Dylan McKay? Last time I went in, I read for uh, Steve Sanders or whatever, and they didn't like me. I sure said I didn't like them. Now? I can't. I, I have a job here. I'm in charge here. You know what? Fine. But this is the last time. I don't want to do this crap anymore. All right, thanks. Hey, yo, Dale, do you have a shirt I can borrow for an hour? He has become somehow the most Luke Perry that he's ever been in the last two scenes. Like, I don't even know what that was in the phone booth. The way that he was speaking was so not the way that he'd been speaking earlier. It's like two weeks on the construction job and this man has turned into like, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know how you would describe that. It's like he's hot, but it's like he's street, but it's like he's not. Seems like he's Dylan. He's just Dylan. He's just become Dylan. Yeah. In this time. So this man comes into the network audition with Darren, who, by the way, I'm loving the actor who's playing Darren. And he continues to work to this day. Do you know this guy? No. Adam Corson. He's done like a lot of like alt comedy shows. He I think was he's actually good. Yeah, he was in Whitney. He was in Whitney Cummings' movie, The Female Brain. I just saw that. Oh wow. This dude works. All the fucking time. He was on Two Broke Girls. He played hipster number two on Two Broke Girls. (laughs) That's actually from the pilot, I think. That's crazy. So everything we're about to see is what makes and breaks Dylan McKay. Because he almost didn't get cast because of this, which is almost impossible to believe. And would that show have even been successful without Dylan? No, I mean, like, abs- I, I don't think, like, they were, they were able to, like, pull back on him. And at one point, he left. Um, at one point during 90210, his fiance dies in a car crash and then comes back. Whoa. 
So like they really go places with Dylan where he dips in and out. Yeah, very um, spelling. But yeah, so let's play the rest of this scene. Well, you've all seen me before. No point in a big intro. Thanks for coming in again, Luke. Let's just get this over with, huh? What was cool I smoke? Yeah. Actually, you two seem like the type that might have a problem with it. No, that that uh, Bill. Uh, love smoking. Go ahead. All right, son, whenever you're ready. He's fully about to ash in this man's expensive-ass, like, dish. Not in a very good mood today. Wait, isn't that the first line of the scene? I'm not in a very good mood today? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yes, it is. I, I apologize. <laughs> well, all right, let's get to it. I don't know what to say, Aaron. The network just doesn't like him. You mean you don't like him? Okay, I admit it. I don't like him. I don't get him. Well, Luke is a very hot commodity in this town right now, and if we don't lock him into a deal, we will lose him. That's completely okay with us. Aaron, we realize the show needs some teeth. Frankly, we think it needs a lot more than teeth. This Luke Perry guy, this guy just isn't going to make much of a difference. Fine. I'm going straight to Barry with this. Good day, gentlemen. Day. Claire, get me Barry Diller on the phone. Is Luke really a hot commodity? I thought he laid pavement. I've made it up. Nobody knows who the hell he is. Aaron, how are you? Barry! I want Luke Perry on the show as a regular. No, no, you don't understand, Aaron. My people do not like him. I know, but they're wrong. He has great appeal. He's got an edge. I cannot force my people to pay for an actor they don't like. What if I paid for him out of pocket? Fine. You want to pay for him? He's all yours. That's how it's done. I think probably for the first, like, six... Well, because he says uh, when he comes in, he's like, oh, I got six episodes and I'm out of here. So Aaron paid for the first six. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, like, that is a drop in the bucket for this man. Oh, yeah. Like, Lou Perry comes in on, like, probably... I mean, he was a construction worker. He probably came in on like a SAG day rate with like a little bit plus, like a little bit of extra cushion. Oh, yeah. But he had a six-episode contract, which is wild to think about. Um, so we find out that Shannon and Tori are getting really close on set. Shannon's like, hey, you're still coming to the club with me tonight. I didn't want to party hardy, which I did not expect to be such a catchphrase throughout this. But Tori's like, I just got to walk around my dad. Um, Tori is painted as very innocent, which also made me feel, especially because they didn't bring up all the reality shows and everything else and the lack of being in the will. I kind of felt like maybe the spellings had some sort of hand in this, the way that Dustin Diamond fed them the yeah, just Save kind of the Bell movie, taking out the the real unauthorized stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, these kids were probably putting some stuff up their nose, but they also threw everyone else under the bus. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I feel like Tori was really preserved in an interesting way. Um, so I wonder who they who was involved in this. Um, so Shannon sees Luke right when he walks in and she like wants, she wants to fuck. Um, Brandon's like, Hey, here's trouble. Of course, loser. Um, so he goes, no one likes the new kid. I'm the interloper. I'm crashing the party. 
And Shannon goes, no, we could definitely use some fresh blood. And then there's an awkward moment between her and Jason, and then she introduces herself. So Jason says she's number one on the call sheet, as you probably guessed. And Shannon's like, yeah, that's right. And then Luke says, guess you should try and stay on your good side then. And she goes, you can certainly try. So she's the fucking queen bee of this shit. It makes me uncomfortable that and this does throughout the movie that no one had a conversation with her about her attitude. Yeah. Because all of this from the beginning could have been cleared up with a simple internal conversation saying like, yes, you're the lead of this show. But I mean, we saw in the full house unauthorized, they can replace a Dandy Tanner. 100%. They can certainly replace a Brenda. And the shit's going to trickle down. And so you just really need to make sure that, you know, you got a good attitude at the top. Like, get her in there and say, we understand that you've lived a life of this, this, and this, and you are probably the biggest star here, but this is an ensemble and we need harmony. Mm -hmm. Check it. Even, you know, she could, if you just framed it to her, like, just for the sake of them, like, make it seem like it's not on her. They could have totally, I felt, prevented a lot of this. Maybe they felt like the chaos fueled the show. Like, it was really the fuel that they needed. They embraced it yeah. eventually. So, um, he's like, I'm doing six episodes. We get to that. Uh, and then Brian Austin Green says, six episodes and we're all out of here. And that is how they felt. Mm-hmm. Like, they're shocked. And that's a real feeling that, I mean, when I was on Two Broke Girls, I definitely did not understand, like, the other writers that were like, just get ready. Like, probably going to, like, they were just used to losing their jobs. Yeah, you don't set up your office. You probably don't set up your dressing room. Right. Um, but the, as they get more comfortable, honey, they do. Mm-hmm. So, Luke and Shannon, it's already starting between them. Jason, t- like, tells him right away, he's like, be careful of that one. Which, if I overheard that, honey, I would. Not be careful. Um, so Ian Ziering tricks Jenny into doing like a kissing scene with him. And this is a real punked moment. Mm-hmm. And he says like, you know, he used to be on soaps, you know, sometimes you got to get these scenes in and out. Let's just practice kissing for like 15, 20 minutes. Like be a great. real couple. Right. And he said like, let's just go for it, baby. Like no holding back. Um, but then so, who's getting punked? Oh, honey. So the second he starts to go for it. They pull up a, I mean, it looked like a medical examiner's office. The yeah. That they had that window. Um, but they're all, like, the whole cast is like, busted. Great bit. I just wrote this doesn't hold up for me in mm. any real way. No, it's cause like you wanted the bit and then you had to figure out what location would have that bit. And it doesn't make sense. You just well, poke like, circles and all of it. And also, what are you making fun of? Right. A lot of this is post me too. For, yeah. Like for us now, which it should have always been inappropriate. Yeah. But like I would say now, especially, I'm like, that is an older man. He's 27 mm-hmm. leading this girl to a private closet. Thank God it was a prank. Like yeah. otherwise, you know, honey. So things aren't work. Like they're not working out. They're 13 episodes in. They're placing 92nd in the ratings, which if you guys are not old enough to remember when you can open the newspaper and see like how many shows there were, there were like 110. Yeah. So they're coming in at 92nd. Um, and you know, Darren's like, we got big episodes coming up. The AIDS episode, the, the slumber, slumber party. party. The slumber party is the most iconic episode in the history of this what show. What is that? I don't even know what, it's what happens at the slumber where party. Kelly, so you see a clip of it later, but Kelly like tells the other girls that she was raped. 
Oh God! And that's the clip. So they basically have a slumber party, and Kelly invites her friend that was like a friend from the old friend group, and she comes to this party, and she's hanging out with Andrea, who's like in like a loser nightgown, and Brenda, who's in her like Midwest pajamas, and like Kelly's wearing like silk PJs, and then this girl Amanda shows up, and she won't change the entire time, and yeah. she like they're playing truth or dare. And she forces Andrea to say that she wishes she could lose her virginity to Brandon, um, in front of Brenda. And then, which is like, it was wild for Andrea to have revealed this because she was so buttoned up. Yeah. And humiliating. And like, it was just a really raw episode. And then she starts to like challenge Kelly because Kelly's like, yeah, I lost my virginity to Steve. It was no big deal. And Amanda goes, no, Kelly. Tell them about the real first time. Tell them about the real first time you lost your virginity. And so she goes into this horrific story of her basically being like, I don't, I don't know if you would say rape, but like she was coerced into sex by like this older football player who said he'd be her girl, her boyfriend. Yeah. And, um, it Something was. Something you would not hear on Cheers. And it was. In all honesty, it was probably pretty revolutionary to hear that. On television. I'll never forget going to a slumber party not long after this first season was in reruns. Well, no, it was a few years later, but the, they were syndicating it now. And my mom watched the um, slumber party episode and she had to drive me to a slumber party later that night that was at a popular girl's house. And my mom was like, Steering. if you need anything, call me and come home. And she did say, like, because the whole time in my mind, I'm thinking, fuck, this is like, going to be like this Beverly Hills episode. Um, and it it wasn't. But, it, like, this this episode was really iconic. So um, Aaron's like, the numbers are horseshit. He wants to know, but how many teenagers are watching? Because you're doing Nielsen's for a whole home. But, like, what are the teenagers watching? And there's no way for really, like, to tell those metrics. So um, Aaron tells Darren, you know, You've got three episodes left to kill this. So let's go to 3245 to 3529. So we're getting canceled, huh? Everyone's saying that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. It always happens to me. Saying elsewhere, Punky Brewster, Kate and Allie. Worked on all of those. Every show I go on ends up getting canned. It's pretty weird. It's too bad. I really like everyone here. If I was a teenager, I'd have to watch this. I'd absolutely have to watch it. No, it's really good. It's like these kids are going through all the real stuff that I went through. Kids will find this. Kids will watch this. Definitely. 
if only we had some time, you know? Some sort of divine intervention. On this second night of the invasion, Iraqi forces have been routed in their attempts to resist coalition forces. According to military sources, all resistance should be overcome within the next two days with military... ABC, CBS, and NBC have suspended all commercial programming to cover the invasion. Now, obviously, we cannot follow suit. So what do we do during wartime? Having limited options does wonders for decision-making, doesn't it? I don't follow. Counter-program. It means we air all of our regular scheduled programming and lots of it. In Living Color, The Simpsons, Parker Lewis, The 90210 Show. Oh, well, we're canceling that. Not yet, we aren't. We need the kitchen sink right now. With nightly curfews being enforced, civilian casualties are being kept to a minimum. And Would it kill Fox to get a news division? This writer was just, just fucking coming writing this. Yeah. Whoever they are, when they're like, could they get a news division? This is Very the kind cool. of thing that, like... Unless you were assigned to do this, if you wrote something like this, your agent would be like, what the fuck? I can't send this out. Like, this yep. is a bad, like, this is, this is not the move. Basically, you bring up a great point, which is that Barry Diller invents counter programming in yeah. this moment. And I think I learned this in my TV class yeah. about this moment. Yeah. Um, really changed things and set Fox apart. This was, this was a legendary TV moment. And they also did this with Saved by the Bell because it wasn't playing well the first time around, but they were able to air it during, I think like, Oh no, they did this in full house. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It wasn't Saved by the Bell. We did this last time is that yeah. they aired all of that footage during full house during the summer break or whatever. And it, like, you're so right, dude. This is like fucking iconic, man. So. Brian Essen Green, he's like begging for cooler clothes. He's like, wants something hip hop. Dara reminds him he's a freshman. I think this is coming up on your note. Yeah. Brian Essen Green, he wants cooler clothes. He wants something hip hop. Darren reminds him that he's just a freshman and we need to give it time. And then Steve comes out and he says, I think my clothes are too loud. And he's wearing like a bright orange shirt, which is completely Steve's style. Now, I think that there was like a Tumblr meme going around back in the day that was like Steve Sanders was closeted. And like, I, now that I look back, he probably absolutely was because he dealt with this like inner strain in his family with his mom being this like glamorous TV actress that he like worshiped and admired, but she was a drunk and like hard to rely on. And he wore really loud clothes and had like, I mean. Do you think it was subtext? Now that I look back, I'm like, I don't even know if it was intentional, but like, or maybe it was, but like queer legend on Tumblr has it Mm -hmm. that Steve Sanders was totally gay. That's interesting. Um, Not that wearing an orange shirt makes you gay. Yeah. But maybe on TV in the 90s, it did. Yeah. I mean, if it was subtext, then it had, yeah. Because now I feel like an actor would walk out in an orange shirt and no one would bat an eye. No. But Steve was like, this is, cr- I look crazy. So, um, we're filming a love scene between Luke and Brenda or Luke and Shannon. It starts to get heated and Darren's like, this is getting pornographic. Brenda's talking to Darren and she says that she looks a little bit too Minnesota. Yes. Or so a little bit here- too plain. She wants to be Gucci like, Jenny and Donna. Yeah, and my ears perked up during this scene because 
you know, she's saying that she looks to Minnesota and then references the Mall of America. Mm-hmm. Um, what year was that supposed to be, do you think? Was that supposed to be 1990? Um, this, I believe, took place in, yeah, I guess 1990. 1990. Well, funny thing about that is the Mall of America was not built until 1992. Oh, shit! And I know that because I went to the opening and I put my hand in cement. And so... Fuck you, Jeffrey Rhoda. He wrote this movie. Yeah. Fuck you, Jeffrey. The Mall of America was not always there, Jeffrey. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, big mistake. Though, gotcha. Overall, Jeffrey, respect. Um, overall respect, but you fucked up on that one. Big Let me mistake. see if Amazon, truly, let's see if Amazon listed this as one of the factual errors. I mean, yeah, that's a huge factual error. 92. You, uh, honey, you got to start writing for Amazon trivia that goes along with their movies. That needs to be, you know what it is? It's IMDb, IMDb trivia that's channeled through Amazon. That's I need to you. do that because that's anytime you. the Mall of America comes up, I can be the fact checker. That's your Because I was hustle. at the opening. Yeah, no, you totally. Mall of you're America. You're fucking famous. You're not the first, I, I will say you're not the first, um, historically significant person. I've had, my friend Jim broke the, um, the whole front of the Apple store with his nose. And oh. that's why they have stickers on the wall now. You're not the first person I know to have a great impact on malls Thank in America, you. but you're, I'm up there. You're yeah. in, you're like, my hand I is think still that might in be the one cement. Of the greater ones. I mean, it's mall America. Um, so now we're filming a love scene. Am I right now? Oh yeah. This is where I'm, it gets pornographic. Okay. So they're filming a love scene and these two are basically like fooling around the way you would with like on your third Tinder date Mm -hmm. where they're like doing like, you know, they're feeling each other up. They really like each other. And Darren's like, yo, this is a little bit hot and heavy. Um, but they're like, you know what? Like this is what feels natural. So he kind of like relents. Like he gives in. He's like, let's keep shooting. I remember this. I remember this being one of the first shows where they would do cut-ins. On like a hand running up a boob. Wow. Which would have really solved a lot of their problems. Yeah. I feel like Darren brought this on himself. Um, let's play 3636 to 3946. Take them. Dude, dude. <laughs> Man, I look like an old comedian. Hey, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Guys. Does a brighter shade of orange even exist? Look like a creamsicle. <laughs> Cut! What is it, man? Yeah, what, Darren? What was wrong with that? They shoot porn over there, not here. You're kidding me, right? Luke, you gotta keep your hands off her press. We've said it a lot. That's where the hands go. I have no control over them. It really doesn't. All right, look, let's go again. Going again. The FCC's indecency enforcement is limited to the broadcast of materials that d- describe or depict sexual or excretory material. So what does that mean? It means there are many rules, but for all the fancy talk, it comes down to two things. Will? Above the waist. Off the breasts. (laughs) Jason, is that about sum it up? More or less. Above the waist, Mm. off the breast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sir, 
one question. Where exactly does the breast start? <laughs> Excuse me? I think he means how close can your hand be to the breast and it's still okay. Don't you worry yourself with that, Tori. Dad. I bet the answer is if you if you think, oops, I might have touched the breast, you've probably gone too far, right? That would be one way to, to, to gauge. Probably like at the beginning of the arch. Would it be like right at the beginning? No, I, I think you mean more so like the underbone, you know? Ooh, like, is this too far? Like, would you? Mm, yeah. Mm, no, it seems fair game. But wait, wait, yeah. wait. Guys, guys, guys. Can we touch our own breasts? Oh, oh All breasts are, they're different. Am You're I right? 16, Brian. How do you know about all breasts? Enough, everyone. Let's just wrap this up so everyone understands and is on the same page. Above the waist, off the breast. Repeat. Above the waist, off the breast. Perfect. Now, don't forget this. As it's clear, you're all getting to know each other a little more intimately on screen. On screen? (laughs) What, what did that mean, what Jason said? On screen? Apparently the making out hasn't just been going on in front of the camera. Is that so? Who's making out with whom? Everyone's making out with everyone. So I have a quick thing. Dan Castellelli, mm-hmm. yes. why is he doing this movie? Has, not, has he not made enough money from Homer? I think honestly, sometimes when stuff like this comes up, it's usually either a family favor or like some sort of industry favor where it's like, Hey, like my friend, um, you know, um, Vanessa Paris is directing this lifetime movie and we yeah. need someone to come in. It'll be fun. You can play Aaron Spelling. We only need you for like, you know, 10 scenes. We can he get it done in work. two days. Like he might like to work. It might be yeah. a family favor. It might be, you know, cause that is like, you know, that like I think sets a tone. Yeah. And that's this role, I guess, feels like a real meal. Yeah, and I think honestly that this seems, that's what I keep saying is that this seems the way that they favor Tori throughout the whole thing and kind of make her sort of like the saving grace. I think that this does have something to do with the Spelling family mm-hmm. and like that seems like a natural favor. Yeah. Like, oh, for the Spellings, like, yeah, that's iconic. I'd do that. Or like there's, Give you me know. Dan Castle Alley. Yeah, sure. I think honestly, it does sound like I think they started with him too. Yeah, that's what I and also think. And then just worked down. They were just like, we got our guy. That's what. Yeah. Let's build a film. Or him. who knows? He could have yeah. come and said, "I want to play Aaron Spelling. I do this bit. Mm-hmm. Like, what can we do with that?" Yeah. Honestly, he could have just gone to his agent at some point and been like, "Hey, can I play Aaron Spelling in something?" And yeah, and they just look through projects. I mean, performers that sometimes they're never done with it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There's. Yeah, I get it. People. People show up. Okay, now we're at the big dance scene. This is amazing. This is the winter dance. This is iconic. This is a a completely iconic episode. Darren is directing, and Darren, this whole scene, all we're seeing is Darren getting into directing. Like, he's obsessed with the lights. He wants to know, like, what this shot is going to be, where the extras are. So we kind of learn here that Darren is really getting into the directing aspect of it. And this is where Aaron gets on the horn, and he's basically like... We got to get writers in here. We're going to like do more. So, um, 
Darren and Aaron are talking with the network and Aaron's beaming. He says, there's a lot going on here. Brenda's virginity mostly. Um, and this is a big scene. And also just for the record, like this was pretty groundbreaking for a 17 year old girl to lose her virginity on camera. And we're going to learn this in the movie that this had an impact, but I will say as someone who was consuming TV at that time that like this was up there with some of the stuff that was going on with Life Goes On where they had a really early on AIDS episode and stuff like that. Um, this was up there on like really just seismic television. It was fucking crazy. So, um, Will and Bill give the news. Um, they've seen shows come and go. Sometimes you're sure you have a hit on your hands and then poof. And he makes like this, Poof, like he makes one of the, I think it's Will or Bill. Mm -hmm. It's one of them. He makes like a, they're very dramatic in their whole thing. So they're like, once in a while, a dud turns out to be a global phenomenon. And that's 90210. So they're fucking popping at this point. It's, it, it it is true. So Aaron says, we got to, you know, keep the summer shows going. They might have up to 30 episodes a season, which is Fucking insane. Yeah, that's a lot of TV. That doesn't happen at all anymore. This is an hour-long drama. It's very it's a very also very serialized and very intense one that like if you were to bring in new writers, this would be a lot to for them to learn. Um and the season did just get better. It got a lot better, but he says we have to have this in a summer location because people like that summer feel good bullshit. So they do basically what they did on Save by the Bell. They put them up at what's Essentially, the Jonathan Club, like a private beach vacation place where Brandon, he's going to be a a cabana boy. Um, What show do they reference? Have you seen uh, The Flamingo Kid with Matt Dillon? Never seen that. That's what the executive says. He's like, Brandon's going to be that guy. I've never seen it. Don't know it. But like, I feel like Matt Dillon had a life outside of me that I wasn't familiar with. Yeah. He wasn't really on my radar till... um there's something about Mary, probably, yeah. right? Or the the three way movie. Um, I don't know what that. I know one night at McCool's. Uh, Wild things. Oh, Wild things! I loved yeah. one night at McCool's. That was That's my. A good sh- movie. I need to watch that right now. Actually, I'm going to download wow. for the plane tomorrow. Yeah. Um. Fuck! I got so excited. So, um, they put Donna in her big dress. This is iconic. Do you want to take a pee break soon? By the way. Sure. Okay. Um. I really have to pee. I didn't know if you Yeah, I actually do also. Okay, I've got to pee real bad. So they put Donna in her big dress, which I think in real life was pink on the show. Um, but Tori's like, you know, I have some ideas for Donna. I think you should be like Lucille Ball. And he's like, well, what does that mean? She says, just put the cameras on me. And this is where people like... When they talk about this show historically, they talk about Tori Spelling's physical comedy a lot, which we've seen... We saw on Saved by the Bell when she was Screech's girlfriend. So, um, Dylan and Brenda, they go at it in the hotel room. Shannon wants to cut because every time that he picks her up, it ruins her outfit. And he's like, well, you didn't show up for rehearsal. And Darren comes out and he's like, unfortunately, she doesn't have to show up for rehearsal because he just like rewrote this scene. I rewrote this scene and she knows it better than I do. Which that's the catch 22 with Shannon yeah. Doherty is like, she's fucking good. Um, so Brian Austin Green, he's dancing alone with his headset on. Um, it's basically like what it, we know to be David Silver dancing. It's like the exact thing. Okay. So where we see right now is that Jason Priestley and like Gabrielle Carteris have a good friendship. Like 
they're kind of like roasting each other. Like they have a little bit going on. And I liked that. That was the fill in I needed because these characters also had friendships and like it wasn't just the hot and steamy stuff, you know? Well, yeah. And you want to see how the characters are interacting and not just spelling, like looking under you know, bathroom stalls. And, totally. And there was like a, a big sexual tension between Andrea and Brandon. I mean, he was the hot guy she, that like she couldn't attain. Like it was, it was a, a hot dynamic, a steamy one for me. So, um, Tori, like, you know, is having a moment with the AD where she's rehearsing and she decides that the way she's going to sit down with her oversized dress is to, lean back and kick her legs up as she sits on the chair. And AD's like, hey, that's pretty funny. Um, and this was her comic turn on the show, as I said. So the band is kind of like a punk pop rock band. It reminds me a little bit of like the Mighty Mighty Boston's scene in Clueless, like which came afterwards, but I feel like they were modeling it on for this episode. Um, then we see Jenny is dressed in her same dress as Brenda, but in a different color, which was like a huge thing on the episode. Um, she's wearing a prom queen, Tira. Uh, Dara calls for the rehearsal and they play out the scene where Brenda tells Kelly that she lost her virginity. And this is particularly dark because it's a warm moment between friends. It's like a big life moment to be like, I just fucked for the first time and tell your best friend. And then the second that he calls cut, the two of them walk away from each other, like just fucking a can you toss in the recycling bin, like not a second thought, like bye. And like, it was so jarring to see that. I mean, honestly, I don't even know how actors do it. If that's Mm -hmm. what happens on set, then they are really fucking talented people across the board. Like I'm not giving enough actors credit if that's what happens because. To know that you fully fucking hate someone's guts and sold that reaction that America responded to the way they did. Yeah, you get like six young people together and they have to act like they're friends. It's not always going to work out. There's a lot of implications that come from this whole virginity storyline now. And to know that the actors involved hated each other's guts is crazy Um, because everyone bought it. So we see the dancing scene being filmed. um, Aaron and Darren are in uh, Video Village, which means they're like basically sitting back watching on some monitors. And Aaron asks them what it's like to have a hit. Um, As they say this, a graphic titled ratings report shows up on the screen. And we get to see the real time. It looks like a stock market sort of like climbing thing. Um, It was a unexpected choice. Very 90s. Yeah, it was very 90s. And it was also went with, I guess, the style of the titles. But... This was the only graphic they had like this in the whole movie. So it was kind of a a choice. Um, We get to um, the set and stage and it's completely cleaned up now. It's finally made to look like a first class experience that they expected this whole time. Everyone looks nicer and they have a better car, except for, of course, Jason Priestley sticks with the beater that he showed up with. Very Um, cool choice. Yeah, I mean, like, some people, some actors, like, it seemed like he had been around. He'd been on a couple canceled shows. Like, he was being smart with his money. Like, Mm -hmm. he's like, you know what? Just because I'm on a show right now doesn't mean that I should go out and get a Mercedes, which that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Wait, wait three seasons. Yeah. Then you get a car. But he never did. So, um, I don't know. Shannon is uh, last. She pulls in last. She's fixing her hair in the mirror. This is the beginning of what I I am supposed. I think we're supposed to take as like her partying days. Like she might have not even gone to bed 
We see one scene where I'm sure she didn't go to bed. Um, but this is maybe she's hungover or something. 4743 to 5057. What the hell? Oh, this is Aaron Spelling waking up in his bed. And we see that they're worried about Tori. Maybe. Yeah. Aaron, it's Will. Will, whatever it is, can't it wait until morning? No, no, I'm sorry, Aaron, but we have a serious problem. Shannon? Is it Shannon? No, it's not Shannon. Then what's wrong? It's the network. They're threatening to pull the plug. <sighs> I'll be right in. The network. Every major advertiser we have is running for the hills. Tell them, Bill. Yeah, it's true. Parents are calling the affiliates. They're enraged. Enraged? Why? Because we just told their teen daughters to go have sex. That's why. What did we do wrong? A high school girl in America lost her virginity. And she bragged about it. She showed no remorse. Aaron, please understand. A teenage girl in America can lose her virginity on TV. She just can't enjoy it. Look, we are a brand new network. That means that we already have credibility problems with our advertisers. But the show is a hit. Not without advertisers, it isn't. We are airing in 83 different countries right now. And with our summer episode plans, this is an absolute disaster. Well, what are you asking us to do, guys? We can't put toothpaste back in the tube. We're not asking, Aaron. Placate our sponsors. Apologize to America. Apologize to America? How? Brenda's got to stop having sex with Dylan, and she needs to feel confusion and remorse for doing so in the first place. Oh, my God. Darren, Darren, let's have a word in private. This is insane, Aaron. I can't do this in good conscience. You're being short-sighted. Aaron, this is important. This is about delivering a real message. You said it yourself. You said what I'm writing is as true to the teen experience as can be. I do believe that. This is not staying true. You have 300 more episodes to stay true. That's what matters. No. What matters is being honest. We live in a world now where a girl doesn't have to be totally shamed for losing her virginity. We probably showed the most sophisticated depiction of teen sex in the history of television. Don't you tell me about the history of television, kid. I created the history of television. Aaron, I'm... And I'll be the arbiter of what does and does not matter. Have you got that? Look, we have a chance to do something huge here, kid. I know. I want to have a long relationship with you. I want to do other projects. I want to hear your ideas. Reed, you're talking about a new show? Many new shows. But we have to fall in line here first. Now, we're going to walk back into that meeting. and Let me explain to you what's going to happen next.
So basically, like they've set up a deal where Aaron is basically saying to Darren, you know what, swallow your pride, trade three episodes for 300. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to hurt you to swallow your pride. Yeah. And I will say I've seen people in creative situations bury themselves because they won't, they'll be like, no, but I need the character to pick up their cell phone then. And it's like, no, you really mm-hmm. don't. But like you get really, I mean, Darren was, did the right thing. He took Aaron Spelling's advice. However, we were saying this is like both great advice, but also very manipulative. And he posed a deal that no one could refuse. Like it was certainly isn't a deal with the devil, but like he betrayed his desires and beliefs for the show and for this character, his vision rather for Aaron Spelling's allegiance. I did note that Aaron Spelling woke up the second the phone rang, by the way. Yeah, I've never, and he was like, what the hell? It was like a toaster strudel. Like, yeah. he, like, fucking popped out that shit ready to go. So it's season two now. The crew's getting ready. Um, Aaron's giving Darren a talk with notes on the script. Uh, Shannon and Luke are talking about the script as well. Um, them breaking up, it makes no sense, which is true. It made no sense as a viewer of the show because we just saw this huge moment, and now America's favorite couple... I mean, it was brilliant writing, ultimately, because it got everyone more invested. It was very, like, you know, Dawson and Joey, Joey and Pacey, but it was a shock. So um, Luke and Shannon, they still don't know the bigger plan. They don't understand why Dylan and Brenda would stop fucking after just one time. And Shannon's pissed because she doesn't want Brenda to lose her virginity, period. She was like, she should have never lost her virginity. And we will find out later on that, like, Brenda is kind of a closet Republican. She like spoke out highly in favor of Bush. I could see her being like very morally probably conservative as well during that time. Because this also was a hot time for like feminists to be like, I think honestly, Charlie's Angels in the beginning scene not getting picked up had more to do with the attitude towards feminism yeah. at the time than it did to do with people not wanting that reboot. This was a moment. And also Fox was was very kind of um, edgy, but they just couldn't go far enough, it seems like. Right. It's, like, weird to think that Married with Children, which had, like, an open woman-hating segment. Do you remember? Yes. It was called um, Oh Man or something. What was it called? Like, it was their their group again about hating women. That uh, Al, Al Bundy, Bundy and all his friends? Yeah. I don't remember what it was they called. They had, like, a, a thing. Um, so... We're in the summer episodes of 1991. We see some shots of California beach fun. There's bikes, splashing athletics. Um, there's multiple extras I noticed in this wearing triangle bikinis, which are actually really high. They're like $200 bikinis. So I was a little bit surprised by that. Wow. Um, I love it when I can spot an item. So Bikini, we hear yeah. on the news that 90210 is trailblazing. It might be one of the most defining shows of the last decade, which is a pretty far jump. Um, Jason and Luke get out of a very, like, freshly waxed car. They look cool. A couple fans come over, and then all of a sudden there's a dozen. There's more and more and more. We're hearing basically, like, these two, they're getting nominated for Golden Globes at this point. The cast exits uh, their trailers looking even better than they had the previous. Like, they got money pretty over summer, which I loved that little, like... Love how they show that. They did a small glow up on mm-hmm. everyone. Everyone looked a little bit better. So... Um, I want to play this next clip just because they have this ease and confidence and like also a new update on where they stand as a group. I try not to, I'm trying not to group too many, uh, scenes together. It was just about a minute. So 5330 to 5441. Hey, let me guess. The girls aren't ready. Have they ever been ready? Ever? Chad said Shannon just got here. 
Why are we always on time? We're so well behaved. You know, my uncle says when a person's late, they're saying that their time is more important than yours. Very wise man, you. Hey. Hey, where are the others? Just giggling and gabbing. You know how girls are. This is not a negotiation. I'm wearing the red dress. End of the conversation. Why do you get to? Because I am number one on the call sheet. What's so hard to understand here? When either of you is number one on the call sheet, you can wear the red dress. No, this is the one photo that's going to be seen all over the world this year, and I'm not wearing black. Blondes look better in red anyway, Shannon. Diane, you know that's true. Well, a case could be made that either blondes or brunettes. You wore red last year, Shannon. Exactly, and we were a hit. You are unbelievable. I'm not wearing black again. I'm going to settle this for all of us. I'm showing up to that photo shoot tomorrow in a red dress, so. Jenny, I promise you that no one is wearing the same color as me in that photo. So this is a very real and also very iconic fight, which leads to a very iconic photo shoot. The openings of the summer episodes were fucking hot as hell. Like, everyone looked dope. And of course, Brenda... Shannon winds up in the black dress. Kelly and Donna are very famously posed on the other side of the photos wearing red, bookending some stud. Um, so now we go to Darren on the editor who reminds me the editor is, as I said, probably a math addict. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has like this creepy villain sexual predator like vibe that reminds me if he was like in a Coen Brothers movie or something. Oh yeah, he, I mean he's just spending so much time in a dark room like looking at these teenagers. It can't help but occur- so he looks really dirty when Aaron Spelling comes in and it's a scene of Donna and David kissing and he looks guilty, he looks ashamed, he looks embarrassed. Um and it's a lot. So Aaron comes in and watches the dailies and he says um you know what as a producer I like this but as a dad I think it's time to have the talk. And like, what What talk is this man having? I, this girl is like, I think probably 18 or 19 years old at this point. She's been on a hit network sitcom for two seasons, grew up in Beverly Hills in the biggest house or most expensive house. What talk is left to be had at this point? Yeah, I think that was like a, a joke that didn't land at all. Right. Was that a joke? I think so. I mean, because I wrote it down and I was like, what is this? Because Donna joke Martin or? wasn't allowed to lose her virginity till the yeah. beach house years. Till like after they graduated high school and were living in the beach house, she eventually lost her uh, virginity to David in a white nighty. Um, she went and picked out with Kelly. That's um, but it was a big, I mean, her, everyone would joke too, like, oh, the biggest joke of this show is that the EP's daughter hasn't lost her virginity. So it's kind of an issue. So um, Jason, Luke, and Steve are playing football in the sand, and Shannon and Jenny are sitting under umbrellas, and Shannon's like, why don't they ever get tired of each other? Like, in real life, the last thing I would ever do is hang out with you. And Jenny's like, we're in agreement about that. Did Um, I hear the line when they were playing football, can't catch the Canadian? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Which one of them is Canadian? I don't know. I just heard, like, I think it was Can't Catch the Canadian. I feel like Jason Priestley would be Canadian. I yeah. mean, maybe that's wrong, but I feel like it sounds right. Wags. Anyway, the uh, the writer had a good time writing that, and I think that's a good line. I would love to be able to write a line like that. 
Yeah, the like little extra, the little extra lines. I always wonder if they're written or if they're improving. Sometimes they, I feel like they might be improving. And it's a brilliant improv then. They actually like Shannon and Jenny enjoy this moment. They have a genuine laugh when this happens. Yeah, it's like two enemies that hate each other so much that they can like come together over that. Right. I exactly. Like that. So the executives come to the set and they're like the peak hammy right here. And they tell Darren and Aaron that the ratings are amazing. Um, and they do this like fake out bit where they're like, yeah, like we're here to tell you some news. And they're so excited to be like, you're a hit after. Um, which is where I start to hate this movie because I don't need that in my life. Mm-mm. That doesn't make me laugh. It doesn't make me like, Think about the show fondly. And there's so many other like bonus moments that I don't understand why. It is crazy that it was like 11.6 million viewers. So I wrote this down. So it's number two in the overall time slot and number one with teens. There are 11.6 million viewers watching, which almost beat Cheers outright. Yeah. Um, I just wrote for perspective. This is like when I was at Two Broke Girls, I remember we did very well in the ratings because it was right when Ashton Kutcher replaced Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men, which is like the highest rated show on TV at the time. And it had a 12, which was considered to be like an insane rating. Beverly Hills and our 210 came in at a 21. So granted, there were less shows on TV then, but a 21 is crazy. Yeah, I mean, CW shows now get like 2 million viewers, and that's the top. That's the top CW show. And and now 90210 would like live on CW, so it's wild. And is that like a 3 on the rate, or like a 2 on the rating scale, like a like CW a show? Nine. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I still don't really know how these rating scales work. Oh, shares. But if you guys want shares, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they call them shares. And I was like, okay, like, honey, I'm like, I'm into crypto now. Like, I don't know what you're really saying here. Real quick, though, this did bring back memories when they keep talking about Cheers. As a kid, I hated Cheers more than anything in the world. And you weren't even from Boston. Why did you hate Cheers? Because it was the boring adult show that was on between the news and Saturday Night Live. And I just wanted my Sandman. I wanted my Farley. I wanted my Carvey. And Cheers was just the boring, stuffy show. And now Cheers is great. I love Cheers. You needed that Wayne's World hit, Yeah, kids and teens hated Cheers. Well, here's the other thing, too, is that it's it's based around a culture because it's not like a crazy bar, like, can't hardly wait, like, fun party bar. No, these are alcoholic adults. It's a place where alcoholic adults and working class people go to, like, get their fucking business done. It's where, like... People show up to give a major life news event because you're an alcoholic and you hang out at the bar or you work there and they have to come in and be like, I'm pregnant, like at Cheers. And at the risk of being like a coastal elite brat, what kids don't want to see, working class people. I mean, it's just too mellow toned. That's what it is. It's not even the working class, but it's also like you can't understand drinking. You can't understand working like that because most... Being a mailman. I don't want to see the mailman at a bar. Right. I I don't believe that the mailman has a life outside of the mail route. You can't imagine as a child how boring it is to be an adult and how like clinical something like when you're drinking at Cheers on the daily, like how clinical that is at this point. Like there's not even fun in that. Like these people were just like, got to post up to pay my $18 and 
for like beer drafts all night. Like that is dark shit. Yeah. And of I course didn't kids it didn't. As a kid. No, why would you? No. Like it's <laughs> why like you were a kid. Like the most you knew of drinking was like Oh, at Norm a and house. Cliff. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Um so <clears throat> Aaron Spelling says Remember a few months ago when they were really popular? Well, they're about to become the Beatles. So now we cut back to the first scene where we see the guys getting pushed through in a blue cart. And the security guard, this is where we get to see, he has sort of like a Caribbean accent or something almost. Mm -hmm. and I loved that for him. This is also in Indiana. So I loved that journey, like wherever yeah. he came from to get to Indiana to be pushing these men in a cart. And it was a big moment. And he says, Tiffany, Debbie Gibson, NKOTB, NK New Kids on the Block. They never had these numbers. Um, I wrote he's actually a very funny actor. I hope mm -hmm. this man had a nice career. I'll look him up at the end. Um, so these kids are like superstars at the time. And it's impossible, I think, for someone now to remember how famous they were, especially because merchandising deals were completely different back then, where like no one would go buy a Handmaid's Tale mug. Mm -mm. But at that time, you had your Luke Perry mug, for sure. Yeah, and I remember that, even though I didn't watch the show as a kid, I tried to dress like Luke Perry. Sure. Yeah, I was wearing... A denim like, jacket. Yeah, and sometimes, didn't he go to, like, um, like sweater vests sometimes? Sure, yeah. yeah and I had the sweater vest. Brandon did, too. They all, they all really, they ran the range of 90s fashion on that show in a great way. So now we're going to go to, I love it when they go like to the commercial break where they do these movies now that are made for fucking TV. Don't you forget it. Here's the commercial break that we wrote to. We come up on uh, Chasen's, Chasen's. Do you know what this restaurant is? I just think it's a, it was a legendary, like, Sort of LA like a Morton's, spot. like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so it's 1991. It's a very swanky restaurant. And Luke and Jason are, they are uh, getting a taste of fame and cash. I want to note here that they're both drinking beer out of the bottle, which was, is, animalistic now but i think was even uncouth at the time like nothing worse than seeing a bride at her wedding holding a bud light in her gown Agreed. that's what it felt like um we're gonna meet someone really special here it says here jimmy stewart at his bachelor party here in 1949 so this is where the stars come to play huh yep so what are two low lives like us doing here thank you very much we're good, thank you. How many times is that dude gonna check on us? I mean, just burgers and beers, man. Hey, let's just enjoy ourselves and remember the times when no one gave a shit. Huh? So what are we gonna do about all this crap with Ginny and Shannon? It's gonna go nuclear, man. Every time I work on a show with girls, they're always bitching at each other. Or about each other. I'm not worried about Ginny, but Shannon? I mean, if she gets fired, it's gonna be bad news for all of us. People like watching her. Have some of your burger, man. Excuse me, gentlemen. Oh, so we're okay, thank uh, you President much. Reagan! I know your show is quite popular. Nancy and I uh, have actually watched it, though probably not your demographic. <laughs> we don't know what to say. Well, if you boys could stay this popular with the young people, maybe the Senate can use you on Capitol Hill. Just say the word, sir. Will do. Nice meeting the both of you. You too, Mr. President of the United States. With our deepest apologies, we're going to have to ask you to leave. What do we do? Our clientele is having trouble getting in and out of the place and eating their meals. We were hoping you would be so kind as to take your burgers out through the kitchen's back door. 
Don't worry about it. We'll be right on. <laughs> Great burger, though. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Okay. I want to go through that scene. First of all, I had my breath taken away by Jason Priestley in that scene. He looked so hot. I'm so for him. I have to look him up. That's my crush. I don't really get crushes. They were, yeah, they were really kind of magnet, like they were magnets. They were at ten, yeah. yeah, because you know they're they're here. They are swigging beers, eating burgers like they used to, but they're dressed. They they've been to Fred Siegel, honey. Mm-hmm. They've gone. They've had a fitting. Now, President Reagan, they call him Mr. Reagan. Love that. I think yeah. he at this point is no longer president. No, it it's the Bush been, years, right? Yeah. Um, He's got swag still, though. Total swag. He looks great. He has this like pocket square situation going on. But when they say later that, you know, your fans are stopping our potential customers from coming, I'm like, you mean President Reagan? Like, yeah. that is, first of all, not your average customer. But secondly, did Reagan look like bear to you? Like, I felt like he didn't have many people with him for... Yeah, Secret Service would have been around the whole thing, even if he's not president. So those totally. girls aren't any... Yeah, that scene... And also, wasn't Reagan, like, rich on his own? Like, wouldn't he just have his own security or something? Yeah, he was a total Cali guy. Yeah. Jenny drives into work, and she's in her Jeep for the first time. I think this is a new car for her. And she's like, God damn it. Like, Shannon's late again. And she's talking to herself throughout this whole scene. And this is one of the ones where I want to know if you think it's direction or acting. So she pulls into her spot, looks at Shannon's empty spot, and she goes, she's really starting to drive me crazy. And she opens the door to get out. And as she gets out, she's trying to make, like, a point. But she's this, like, small girl getting out of a Jeep, which is, like, always a jump down. And she has this, like, expensive designer handbag that I can tell that they said, like, hold this going out first so that it's, like, clear you're rich now. Mm -hmm. But what happens instead is she sort of, like, tumbles out of the Jeep and the purse hits both the door and the door frame, like, on and off while she's getting... It's the most cartoonish thing. Do you think that's... It's a happy accident, I think. That happened. You think so, right? That happened and they were like, that was great. I think they died over that. Mm -hmm. I I agree. That's a a movie magic thing. Okay, honey? So there's this... um, There's this next scene where Jason and Luke are telling Gabby and Tori that, yes, they met the Gipper himself. Ian was pissed that he, Ian was pissed that he was working. Um, I love that they clear that up, that they're like filming their scenes different times because when we see them in this show, they're always in a full group. It's never just like really isolated. So Jenny comes in and she rats on Shannon for being late right away. I want to point out that Jenny parked at the Van Nuys lot, but they're clearly shooting on the beach. So this would never happen. Um, and Jenny's like, mistake. Yeah. I'm shooting at noon. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm hours early. Where the fuck is Shannon? And the AD goes, something to do with heat. I don't know. Or car overheated, underheated. I don't really know. I'm not a car guy. Again, not an AD response at all. No, they know things. Totally like the guy that's going to get promoted to writer's assistant next year, but is still like the most, he's a great PA at mm-hmm. this point. So, um, Ian, Ian, sorry, every time I read it, Ian says that Fidel Castro apparently had a satellite dish installed in his house just for the purpose of watching Jenny, which I think might be true. It's got, I mean, if you throw that in a script, it's true or else right. you're a psychopath, yeah, which it, either one could be true. Right. No, I completely believe that based on the entire writing of this. Cause like whoever it is that wrote this, this guy, let's look him up. Jeffrey Rhoda. 
in order to be this guy that wrote this, you have to have an understanding of the industry. That's like keen, yeah. I would say, right? So he was a writer on a movie called 18 to Party. Um, and then this movie, of course. She understands teens. He produced um, Love, Liza, as well as Dark Harbor. Okay. He directed 18 to Party, and then he did script revisions on Pitch Perfect. Okay, so he knows, he's probably a script doctor. He's a, like, punch-up guy. Yeah. yeah. And he, he wasn't... He knows the stuff like the back of his hand. That is so interesting that he did that for Pitch Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. He does have a funny bone on him. Yeah. You I mean, know? He's a guy who's trying to put jokes in this movie. Yeah. And she, they're very cheeky. Jenny is, um, that's so gross. That's what she says to this, but she, she's getting off on it a little mm -hmm. bit. So we got to play Shannon coming in because this is all happening, bitch. Um, and I want to add that the next, um, scene after this is going to be in the peach pit, which is I didn't realize where they also had the sexual harassment meeting. I didn't understand what that room was because it just looks like a yeah. green tube. But it is actually... I thought it was a cafeteria, so I get it now. Yeah, it yeah. looks it looks like, um, honestly, like where they probably keep craft services or something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, welcome. Shannon, you're pissing everybody off. Come on, Shandoa. Let's start, guys. Actually, does anyone else have anything they want to say? Yeah, I do. Stop wasting everyone's time. Shut up, Jenny. Okay, guys, let's block this scene. Come on. Okay, everyone, uh, listen up. Listen up. Hormones away. As you know, I always try to tell you about the merchandise before we pull the trigger on it. Uh, except for the cereal boxes. That was an anomaly. And the toothbrushes. Out of my hands, that one. And the video games? Not my idea. And the coloring books? My boss. Okay, that one's. And the toilet paper? Wait, there's 902 in no toilet paper? Oh, yeah. I just used some with your face. Yeah, how was that? <laughs> Yours is, yours is the softest. Oh, okay, can we... Enough with the toilet paper. Because what I'm about to tell you will blow your minds. Are you ready? Yeah, sorry. No. Huh? I just spoke to a major toy company who will be making 90210 dolls of you guys. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that great? Of all of us? That actually remains to be seen. Let me guess. Little girls aren't lining up for the Andrea doll? Well, well the first batch is going to be Brenda... Brandon, Kelly, and Dylan. I and Brian, Gabrielle, I am sure if this first round goes gangbusters, they will be tripping over themselves to make dolls of you guys. Bummer, that, that would have been really cool. It'll happen. Yeah, you want mine, you can have it. And I don't know what's more embarrassing, having a doll made of me or not having Actress Shannon Doherty, better known as Brenda Walsh from Beverly Hills 90210, claims in a recent interview that she is misunderstood and often mistaken for her unpopular television persona. So, Shannon's getting beat up in the press a little, huh? More than a little, Mr. Spelling. They've sold 7,000 copies of this thing called the I Hate Brenda newsletter. Does Shannon know about this I Hate Brenda movement? She does. What does she say about it? She says, I hate Brenda, too. Well, good for her. And here's an article where she speaks of her love for George Bush and then condemns her fans for confusing her with her character from her show. She has an opinion on everything. I mean, who the heck does she think she is? So I wrote here that, first of all, I'm shocked that they didn't make a Steve doll because he was Kelly's romantic interest for the first season. That's so, mine? Yeah. Wow. I'm shocked that they didn't do that. And it's just a different... Color hair. 
true life. And yeah. also, like, I do agree. No one wants an Andrea Zuckerman doll. Like, that sucks. I can just tell from the film that that wouldn't, that wouldn't sell. You don't want the nerdy newspaper editor who apparently... First season, you learn that she was lying about being a West Beverly student because she, well, she was living on her grandmother's couch and traveling back and forth. Like, I think she probably lived in like Echo Park or something in the series. And like, she didn't take a bus every day. So she was living on her Nana's couch and they had to like do an episode where they fake made her place up so that the government or someone would believe that she was a poor person. That's good. Yeah. Um, it was a good episode. Um, so basically I wrote Aaron Spelling's a fucking genius for seeing this business opportunity in this absolute mess of a situation. Um, he was right to market Brenda the way that he did. Cause he yeah. winds up turning this meeting on its head and being like, well, we're going to fucking run with this. Like if they think they hate Brenda, well, guess what? That's where, that's where I come in. Yeah. You need a character to hate. And this is again where I would say that like this could have gone a couple ways. I think that there could have been an intervention at this point where Aaron went to um to Shannon and said like listen, if you hate Brenda and you're like acting out because of this or like you would like this in a different way, let's talk about that. But like basically at this point we've decided to embrace you publicly as a villain, move forward with you being like a trash person basically. It's weird that they did this to a young girl. I think it's a little bit weird. It's manipulative and but it's also they clearly liked the drama in some way and they liked the yes. chaos and that kind of runs through this whole thing. But the other part too is that Brenda's character was never this bad guy. Like she was supposed to be this Midwestern like kind of like Bobsy twin type person where she was this like totally straightforward girl. And for America to be like, oh, that's the bitch. Like, you wanted Jenny Garth's character to be the bitch. Because Kelly was snobby. Her mom had a coke problem. Like, there was a lot going on there. She could have afforded that a little bit more than I think Shannon could have. But um it's very interesting to think about her being so famous that no one had an intervention with her at any point um, that we saw. So it's now season three of the dressing rooms of Shaped Out. They're, they're they're looking great. Um, Brian Austin Green dances alone to hip hop in his room. He's, he's rapping. There's a large oh that's later. There's a large felt musical note on the wall. Oh wow. Yeah, which was great. It looked like literally he went to Michael's and cut it out of felt. Tori's dressing room. They all have mid-century modern furniture in their rooms, which is great. Um, Ian plays Kiss Mary Kill with Jason down the hall, and um, he says. He would marry Gabby, kiss Jenny, and then he like smooches at her and kill Shannon. Then we go to Shannon's dressing room. We see that it's like definitely the most stylish. There's like pink Chinese lanterns everywhere. It's very cute. Um, but she is nowhere to be seen and her car's not in her spot. She finally pulls in. She's checking out her makeup in her room. She has like this lipstick palette where she like brushes on her lipstick. It's very of another time or like, YouTube hair and makeup artist. Um, but yeah, let's play um, this clip. She's been basically out all night and may not have never gone home. Uh, 104.52 to 106.55. Chad. Hi. Who's that girl? Which one? The one those two are salivating over. She's just an extra. Okay, well, I'm going to go to my dressing room and when I come back, I never want to see her again. 
What the hell did I ever do? Brenda, you're making a big mistake. Dylan's gonna do what he's gonna do. Yeah, but I can't just stand by and watch him do it. Brenda, Dylan's an alcohol. What the hell, Shannon? What? Okay, girls. Back to ones. We're still rolling. Still rolling. What do you think you're doing? What are you talking about? Okay, settle. Background. And action. Brenda, you're making a big mistake. Dylan's gonna do what he's gonna do. You can't just sit by and watch him do it. Brent, Dylan's an alcoholic. Oh. What is your problem? Cut! Who do you think you're talking to? I have so had it with you. Oh, really? Let's go. We're gonna go right now and settle this once and for all. I would love to do nothing more than to kick your ass. very professional for Sadie. So, yeah, there are, like, a few shots they do that really give you the understanding of the ensemble of it. Mm -hmm. Like, because a lot of times they can maybe get three people in a shot or something. But, like, this is really one of the scenes where they show the ensemble of it. And, like, the last thing is the whole scene you're watching it and you're like, well, there's no closed fist. Like, this isn't that severe. But the way that she pushes uh, Jenny against... Um, Jason Priestley's car and she falls back on the hood you really think Shannon's about to fucking go for her throat yeah and I mean the whole thing is just it was it was more like harassment than anything that she even got her to do that yeah and it was like I, I hate that scene so much with her pulling on her skirt because it's like a spandex skirt and anyone who knows like the repetitive motion of something hitting you whether it's like minutes apart or two seconds apart, it literally, it, it's a weird wardrobe form of like Chinese water torture to just yeah. have something done like that. It made me, by the third time I watched this movie, I was like so physically angry that I was, I was like, oh my, I can't do this anymore. I can't watch it a fifth time. Like I can't, or fourth time. Yeah. I can't. It's like when people would snap the elastic back of like your underwear or something. It just makes me, it made me yeah. so, it was like, I'm like, why am I like now triggered by this? And I feel like it just makes me look back and be like, that is bullying 101. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. going to make you uncomfortable in your body on a core level. So, um, Basically, everyone goes to Aaron Spelling and is like, I want her gone. Um, and they all were really professional about it. Luke Perry was actually somewhat poetic about it when he was talking about it. He was saying, like, she's patently uncooperative. Um, I was like, damn, flex, dude. Like, you're not just a construction worker. Yeah. Um, and Aaron's saying, like, his hands are tied, basically. It's mid-season. But by the time even Brian Austin Green comes in, Aaron's like, I've had enough. She's gone. So, um... Basically, uh, Shannon, someone knocks on her door and it's Ian and he's like, Hey, we should get out of here. And he's holding the keys to like what was on the show. His whip was 
his definition in life. Steve Sanders had his cool car, and that was basically it. So he actually apparently had access to this as an actor, and he takes it out for a spin. And he's telling Shannon, you know what? Like, you're going to get fucking fired. And she's like, no, I'm not. Like, I can't deal with it. And um, he's like, really? He's like, no, you're in, like, a lot of trouble. Like, this is this could be... You think you're having fun with this, but like your reputation will be burnt forever. And she's like, she starts to have this very manipulative meltdown where she's like, things are just so hard for me. And they're like hard. And he's like, you know what? Fine. You can drive the car. And the tears go away. She gets into the driver's seat and immediately she does what is inevitable. And she crashes the car into like a bunch of dry concrete on the side of the road. It says was, it all, really. But we have to play this clip, and it's only, um, I think it's about 12 seconds long of yeah. Ian Ziring, 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 Ian Ziring. I mean, the goal to, to pronounce your name like that. Like, that's a Ian. lot. It's yeah. really, it's and really. Then a Z name. It's, it's asking a lot. Ian, mm-hmm. I, I think, in and of itself, and he had a license plate at the time that was E Y E A N. And Oof. he had to change it because fans started to like look for his it. license yeah. plate. But I, that's a dark memory that I can't believe I just uncovered. And who knows what was going on with that skirt for me mm-hmm. that that really triggered me like that. Yeah. So we have to play this line, which is great. <laughs> look, you're acting crazy. You're out of control. You're like a shark. You're like a tornado. You're like a mixture between a shark and a tornado. I mean, dude, screenwriter. Were they saying that he was, like... Coming up with it? I mean, were they giving him credit for the entire series? Or was, like, he is he psychic and, like, felt that one day that would be what it is? I think the screenwriter is just one of those people that just needs to wave at you at all times and say, I'm here, I'm here, and I'm cute. Um, I'm here. I'm cute. I came to party. Well, yeah. I want to show you one thing on my phone. I'm going to sh- yeah. go to my memories from when I went to Japan. And um, these are some of the pictures I took at the robot restaurant, which is really great. Oh, I love really seeing pictures great. at robot restaurant. Um, but what I took was a picture of um, before that, when I was just waiting in line, you're waiting. Um, one of the autographs on the wall was a tornado with shark fins in it. And that is when Ian Ziring Ziring went to the fucking robot restaurant. And he left it there. And he's like... But he's like, he's like, hey, you know me? Like, here's a fucking tornado with shark fins in it. Like, that's really like... And he had to practice drawing that at some point. That is 100%. You know how Britney Spears would always just like land that Britney every time she wrote it? Yeah. Because she wrote it 5,000 times. Mm -hmm. This man has drawn that shark tornado... Dozens of times. And he's like, you know what? This is the good version. Put this on the historic robot restaurant wall where Americans yeah. will come by all the time and be comforted by its presence. He winds up taking the heat for her, which I think is like... That's a cool move. I respected really it. Nice. I wrote as a codependent enabler. I saw that and I respected it. Yeah. Where, you know, he's the one who's really saying to Shannon, you're in a lot of fucking trouble. But then he doubles down on that and comes to her aid in the moment. Like, he didn't have to do that. And I'm like, yo, is this bro a saint? We are informed of a few. Like, he reveals himself to be a very interesting person throughout this movie um, yeah. later on. So, and and this is, like, a interesting dimension. He Steve hung in there for her when no one else did. So, the producers, literally Bill and Will, like, arrived to the accident. I will say that. So, now we're at 1992. 
It's a night at the Roxbury, which to me, I was shocked that they actually called it the Roxbury. Is that the, was that a real club in LA? It was in Boston. Yeah, I think it was a real club in LA too. So that's it was open wild till, that they got it might still be open. I mean, it was open like in the like late two, you know, 2009. It was still open then. Yeah. yeah. I I just I was surprised that they called the Night of Ro- Night at the Roxbury. Yeah, it's like Night at Lay Do. Like mm-hmm. that would never play. I I'm surprised they gave the name up. Anyway. So it's a rare night. The whole gang is hanging out together and Ian's joking about it. He's like, remember when we used to have to wait in line here and we never get in? Jason's like, I never did. And I'm like, I believe you. Yeah. Cause your roommate was Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that hot guy. So they're all dancing right away. They're getting into it. Brian Austin Green is like, this is his zone. He thrives here. He's not really much of a partier, it seems like. Um, but anyway, um, Gabby wants to go home at 10 p.m. She's like, you'll get it when you're 30, which really had some, there was some weight there for me with that. Oh, yeah. And Tori gets her to wingman for her before she leaves. So she's gone. And then Shannon and Jenny are alone in this booth, and she comes over to her. It's a little bit like, remember that vine that are like two guys in a hot tub sitting on the, you know, do you remember no. that vine? We're, okay, it's like two guys in a hot tub, but they're sitting on each side of the hot tub. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're, straight. they're not going... That's exactly yeah. what Shannon and Jenny are. They are on two sides of a hot tub here. And um, she comes over to her, and she basically is... I don't know if she's being manipulative or not, but I bought it. She's like, listen, I'm sorry. Like, sometimes I come in hot. I don't mean to do it. I feel insecure. She offers up a little bit of emotional meat there, and Jenny's like, you know what? I agree. Until next time we hate each other. Ha, it's very cute. Then all of a sudden... Yeah, she knows she's in trouble. Cut to 10 minutes later, an hour later, probably whatever. Brian Austin Green brushes into some guy on the dance floor and he's like, watch it, you little shit. And then <laughs> this guy looks like... um Is John Heater the name of the guy who played Napoleon yeah. Dynamite? Yeah, exactly. He looks like him, except skeletal and like if he was very sick. That's what he looks like. <laughs> And he has like a low ponytail, um, a colony tail is what it's really, I call it. But he has this low ponytail that looks like it hasn't, I mean, the hair and makeup on this was incredible because I think this guy was probably just like wound up being a featured extra because he came in. But that ponytail had not been brushed in days. He looked perfect. He looked starved and angry to be there. Like, he was perfect. That's that's the person who creates a fight at a club. So, Brian Austin Green's like, I'm so sorry. And the guy's like, wait a minute. You guys are that... Lo- you're losers from that show. And then Shannon comes over and she's like, who are you calling a loser? And she steps in right away. Then the guy... The sick-looking Napoleon Dynamite guy, like, leans forward and he's like, oh, no, you don't. And he puts his hand on her forehead and then kind of, like, flicks her forehead away. And she, like, moves back because this is a bold move. Yeah. And it's very derogatory and incredibly insulting. And it's something about, like, the theatrics of it. Intrusive. It's just... It's intrusive. Yeah. But also, like, it's uh, it felt, like, up there with, like, spitting in someone's face yeah, it's to me. Because it's, it's like, you are subhuman. And it was rough but of course you don't do that to shannon doherty so shannon turns she she turns right to jay she's like hold my purse and then she jumps on this guy and if sound effects are reliable she's fucking socking this dude in the face and like that is severe battery and i believe that she would go down for nothing less than that like shannon she is 
a pit bull. Yeah. Um, so Scary. of course we come back up. Oh, I wrote this in my notes. This is where a turtle shaved in the head comes into. Oh yeah. So because at one point Jenny does a throwaway line where she's like, he's just some loser with a ponytail. Don't listen to him. And it's like background noise. And so I wrote down like, like hairstyles that are like 100% derogatory and able. So I wrote down ponytail, man bun. He's just a loser with a man bun. He's just a loser with a mullet. He's just a loser with a bowl cut. He's just a loser with a blank shaved into his head. Turtle. Turtle. Yeah. But like, can you think of any other? I mean, yeah, like the, um, like the kind of like Hitler youth haircut that, okay. that, that is kind of in sometimes. I'm looking. If it's done wrong. Yeah. Like the sort of like army cut. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm just looking for like anything that can be, you know, I'm looking for alt for that ponytail. Yeah. Joke, all, but the like, rat tail. You know, oh, rat. He's just some loser with a rat tail. Yeah. That's rat tail is really the like skeevy one. Now I can move on. So um, they're pulled off each other. But of course, we come up on a police scene. And I want to play this because we find out that Aaron Spelling is just so he's so brought down by her his whole late in life. I mean, he doesn't know he's going to die 15 years later, but it's still got some time. Yeah. It seems like he's going to die like in these scenes. Um, so it also, this made me really sad in a way because it reminded me of Lohan, um, which was just so tragic to watch because it happened so publicly in front of us. And I feel like this was without the same news cycle, the deterioration of Shannon Doherty was very similar. Um, so let's play 115.49 to 118.10. This is for misdemeanor battery. You're going to have to go to court. Misdemeanor battery? That guy started it. And he's facing the same charge as you are. Do you know who you're talking about? Do I know who you are? Yes. You are a big pain in the ass. Everybody thinks that. Hey, are you okay? Well, if I hadn't known I was going to get arrested for battery, then I would have made it worthwhile. At least no one's going to know about it. Shannon, over here! Shannon, over here! Shannon, over here! Shannon! Tori, your father's going to kill me. I'll tell him what really happened. It's another night in the life of Shannon Doherty. Let's go. Good night, guys. Oh, for the love of... Hello? All right, I'm coming. Shannon. Of course. Roxbury fight is just the half of it. She dropped out last minute as an Emmy presenter, left producers scrambling to replace her. Look, I can't just get rid of her. It would hurt the show too much. Or maybe not at all. Are you telling me that her presence has reached the point of diminishing returns? As far as the cast and crew are concerned, I think we can answer that with a definitive yes. Look, I understand how problematic she can be, believe me. But it would be unfair to not mention that the writers on the show absolutely adore her. They think that she's the best of the bunch. She nails every word that they write regardless of what she's doing the night before. Let's talk ratings here. Is she creating more problems than she's bringing in viewers? Well, that's impossible to quantify, Aaron. What does the network hear? What's the word on the street? Aaron, people loathe her. 
and it's getting worse. I understand, and I've heard everyone. But as far as I'm concerned, Shannon stays. That music Oof. is so good. Yeah. That music is, I'm ready to like jam. Takes you back, yeah. I feel like I'm ready to jam right now. Totally. Um, so this is a great, a great meeting just in that you're right. Aaron wants fucking facts. He wants news. He wants development. What the picture that they show in the front of the newspaper did not exist in real life because it's a beautiful overhead shot of the club with Shannon like pointing her finger in some guy's face in the club. Yeah, couldn't exist. And then the headline was like 90210. Oh no. Oh no. Which is like this is not the 30s. They're not putting that it's on It's also the paper. not the New York Post. Yeah. Like it's the LA Times probably, right? Yeah. So um, now it's season four, baby, and the AD is on the phone, and Shannon is nowhere to be found. He called her agents, her manager, even her hairdresser, and no one knows where she is. So Jenny sits in her room, and it now has a big vase of sunflowers in it. You're seeing that they're, like, getting a little bit more bougie. Totally. Um, Jason and Luke have super soakers now. We go to Gabby. She's um, she's a little bit impatient. She has a cow print beanbag in her office now. Oh, this was the part where Brian was rapping, right? Yeah, we're going to play that. Um, It's only 10 seconds long, but trust me when I say we are playing all 10 seconds of those. The Super Soakers, like, that's when I really, like, had to give all my respect and love to the prop master. Yeah. Because that was the Super Soaker that brought me back. The yellow and green. Yeah, it was the yellow, green, orange. The orange tip so that you knew it was a fake gun. Yeah. Of course. The yellow and green didn't tip you off. Um, so Tori, it continues to be like the hope for Shannon. And she's like, I swear to God, we're all really having, she's at the end of her rope, basically. So let's play, um, Brian Austin Green, just to know his season four development as he hung Christmas lights in his office. Um, he's freestyling into a tape recorder. So that's 119 to 11910. One, two, my name is Brian. I am. My name is Brian and I ain't lying. I'm the best MC in the LBC. So you all should just uh, hey, hey. So you all wow. should just uh, hey, hey. It was he just a joke? Like they've just made him a joke this whole movie. And and I mean, I don't know much about Brian Austin Green other than that, like Shia LaBeouf told him to stay in his lane that one time. So I'm going through some facts right now because one can't help but notice, but he hinges his rap on being from the LBC. Yeah. Which is, is he- Long Beach County for yeah. those who don't know. Um, according to Wikipedia, Green was born in Los Angeles County. Um, some sources say Van Nuys couldn't be further away wow. from Long Beach Balls still being in Los Angeles County. Yeah, he's doing a weird takeoff of Snoop and it's wrong. He was um, born to the George Green, a country western musician. Hmm. Um, so, oh, he also added Austin to his name, his middle name, because there was another Brian Green in the Screen Actors Guild. Which okay. is always, that. whenever that comes up for me, it's like, oh, it's sad. That happens a lot. You throw mm-hmm. a middle name in and otherwise they have a famous name. So the cast sits outside. They're playing with the water guns. It's two hours later. Jason and Luke are basically fucking done. And Jason, Luke's like, are you sure you want to do this, man? And Jason leads the movement. He walks everyone through. Um, let's play 119.40 to 121.41. This is where the whole cast is. They snap. This is the consensus. But then Brenda comes back swinging. It's an odd choice. So do we all agree on this? We need to come to a total consensus. It's not going to be hard to get. Does anyone here want her to stay? 
Silence is deafening. Tori's the only one that hasn't weighed in yet. I like Shannon. She's my friend. This isn't about liking Shannon anymore, Tori. She's screwing with the show, our jobs, our livelihood, everything. I hang out with Shannon. I hang out with all of you. Well, it really has to be all of us. Hey, guys. What's going on? Look, um, I am really sorry. I've been going through some really hard family stuff at home. My grandma's been in and out. Sorry to hear that, Shannon. What is going on? Everyone wants you out of here, Shannon. What, even you? I thought you were supposed to be my friend. I am your friend. And I'm the only one you've got right now. Do not walk away from me! You're behaving atrociously, Shannon. Now, I suggest you go to wardrobe right now and get ready to shoot. Do you understand? Is this the way it's going to be? What? You think because you helped me get this job that you can talk to me like that? You better watch your back. Whoa. What do you think the employee handbook says about threatening the boss's daughter? Got a feeling it's something we just don't do. Feeling you're right. Wait, there's an employee handbook? <laughs> Screenwriter had to throw in a joke. Yeah. This guy wants to write a this comedy. Is, I wrote this right here. I said, this exact scene I wrote, I don't think there needs to be a button on every scene. Yeah. Like, it's, I don't need it in my life. Um... It's not like the most offensive thing. It just, I don't need it. And yeah. it also makes the whole thing feel like any air that happens, it just takes it right out of it. And mm -hmm. like, I'll, I want to watch a movie. Yeah. You know? I want the tea. Right. I give want me the tea. Fucking give me that steaming hot tea and nothing but. Earl Grey. Um, I will say that there is no indication um, that there's any affiliation with the spelling family in this movie, okay. which I really think there was, and I hate to say this, but I realized again, the spellings were favored in the casting of Tori. Yeah. She is the least like any other character on the show and that she doesn't look anything like Tori spelling. I think you can't do anything probably in this town without getting it through the spelling somehow. And that's probably a secret that you only learn at a high level, like kind of like uh, the Church of Scientology. Yeah, unless it's like a wire transfer to Tori Spelling's bank, because <laughs> fucking, I don't know how she got done so dirty, but there's, I don't, somehow she was gifted a favor in this movie by like making her, because I thought the actress really looked like Donna Martin in that last scene with like the big curls and the really unfortunate blouse that was like of the time. Um, but she couldn't look anything less like her. Um, so, we find out next that um, the execs are like, they're done. They're like, Shannon's got to leave the show. So we find out that um, Darren and Aaron are like, they're not so happy to see her leave. The execs are like, they have a total heart on for it. And they're all watching it on a little TV together in his office. And Aaron gave the statement, we are all very grateful for Shannon's contribution to the show. I and the entire cast and crew wish her luck in whatever she decides to do. Um, it's kind of sad 
yeah. I think, to see how like hard they want Shannon to fail. Um, they say we wish her luck too, as long as it's somewhere else. So Shannon's very huffy as she leaves the office. Um, someone's bringing out her stuff in boxes for her. And then as she pulls out from her space for the last time, she says party hardy, which I guess is her Call legacy back. in terms of this show. Mm-hmm. So, um, they want to talk about replacements. They decide to, um, you know, think about ideas and it looks like the execs are ready to chime in when Darren Starr interjects and says, have you guys ever seen Saved by the Bell? Um, which is, of course, the classic turn of Valerie coming in. Um, it's now season five, 122.46 to 124.42. It's where Tiffany Amber Thiessen comes in. Your parking spot and dressing room prove when your number on the call sheet moves up. This can only happen if someone above you, A, gets fired, B, quits, or C, goes to rehab. Okay, that was just a joke. Actually, not really. You don't have a drug problem, do you? No. Any other questions, Tiffany? Uh, no. None. None at all. This place seems way more chill than my last show, to say the least. I'm sure you'll do great. I hope so. Welcome to your new home. Hey, that doesn't go there. It's really great to meet you. Uh, you too. I was a little nervous, to be honest. Well, it's definitely a different vibe here now, that's for sure. Yeah. Hi. Hey. Well, thanks for being so welcoming. It's really incredible to be here. Hey. Hey. We're really happy to have you. Hey, babe. Oh, hey. So you guys met my girl. Yeah. Hey, hey, Jenny, you uh, you met Tiffany yet? Um, I'm late for hair and makeup. Hey, Jenny, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. It's totally a dream come true. Well, we are really glad that you're here. Well, thanks, Jenny. Yeah, welcome to the 90210 family. As she just walks away. As they're taking her name off the door, which is so dramatic, and I, I love it, would never happen. Yes, I agree. No, it was crazy because I did not expect Jenny to come in as this queen bee bitch, but it turns out she learned fucking nothing over the summer, honey. Yeah. Like, she was ready to ice her out the second that she came in, which is especially weird because she already had a boyfriend on set, and, like, the boyfriend played her stepbrother, so there's clearly not, like, she's not a threat, really. Yeah. Um, I totally forgot that Tiffany Amber Thiessen and Brian Austin Green dated. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so now we go into a series of title card, or what do you call them? Like, uh, post... Mm, I, I want to call it a title card, but it's not it. They're like just the what, superimposed. Yeah, like w- fucking, what would you write in a script? Uh, what are they called? Uh, chirons. A chiron, I think, is for like the news when it's in the lower third. Yeah. But I guess it's a chiron, right? Yeah. So um, it comes up over Aaron and Darren, and it says Beverly Hills 90210 ran for six more seasons, during which time Aaron Spelling and Darren Starr also brought the world to hit show Melrose Place. Wow. Darren went on to create a little show called Sex in the City, and Aaron, who died in 2006, remains the most prolific producer in U.S. TV history. Do you think um, Ryan Murphy is coming up on that? 
Um, yeah, I think probably Ryan Murphy and I mean, any of those people that got Netflix deals will probably be more prolific. Sure. Yeah. Shonda Rhimes for Shonda, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, not that I'm saying Aaron Spelling needs to be replaced. It's not no. a contest. That, that card though sent me into a spiral because I read it too fast and I thought that it said that Darren Starr died in 2006 oh, and yeah. I was like, wait, what? No, he's fine. Yeah. Good. I think he's fine. He, what is he producing? He has a show on now. I don't really know. Um, that's good. It's like I, a splashy good news show. Um, he does the, he does the dish. Good. So Brian Austin Green has been romantically linked to co-stars Tiffany Amber Vanessa Marcel, and Megan Fox, inspiring millions of young men to pursue the craft of acting. I'm pretty sure that's not. The last part of that is not true. Well, they're all, I mean, these are just so, again, so cheeky and so cute. And it's like. This is someone's real fucking life. (laughs) Stop patting yourself on the back as you're typing this out. We get it. Right. And like also Brian Austin Green, definitely um, his most prolific work, I think, since the show has been dating people publicly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But. That is not pursuit. That's not made one person want to pursue acting. No. Like it's a it's a cute wannabe joke that didn't didn't land. I understand that, but also it makes me I'm angry about it. Well, yeah, and I was also angry when it was like a little show called Sex in the City. It's like don't waste my fucking time. No, no, not cute. Right. So, um, Gabrielle Carteris later revealed that she lied about her age when auditioning for Nano 2.0, making her one of the only actors in Hollywood to ever tell the truth about lying about their age. Again, cute. But, like, is she okay? Yeah. Right? Ian Ziring is currently crushing it in the wildly successful Sharknado series and has even launched a line of clothing called Chainsaw Brands. That also made me feel like he had a hand in production. Yeah. And also, like... Be a better writer than saying crushing it. You know what I'm going to say? Ooh, I figured it out. I thought that this guy had to talk to some people in order to get this made. Yeah. And I'm betting that Ian Ziring and Tori Spillin picked that fucking phone up. Top of that list. None of these other people needed to pick no. up this phone. Jason, as we will find out, barely has a face. Yeah. Um, He's okay, though. Um, so Luke Perry successfully countered his teen idol image with a series of eclectic roles. In 2001, he appeared full frontal naked on the prison drama Oz. And, ready? This is where they're going to get us. This is where they're going to fucking put us out. All right. We're fucked. Ready? Yeah. And your mom immediately renewed her HBO subscription. You fucking talking about my mom? Yeah, please. Like, literally, like, I just, this is where the, they're like, you just watched two hours of this? Yeah. Guess what? I fucked your mom. Yeah, and now like, I get to be rude to you. <laughs> yeah, and like, as we knew you were going to be rude yeah. to us, but literally, why are you bringing my mother into this? Totally. I watched two hours of your goddamn movie. Show me some respect. So it says, Jenny Garth played Kelly Taylor for all 10 seasons of 90210, and then... 20 episodes of CW Reboot. So the CW Reboot was actually a disaster, but I thought pretty good. They did I see it again. Um, Spring Awakening as their their musical for the first season. And I actually like, went to go see Spring Awakening because I love Mama Who Bore Me. Didn't they just do that on another show? I, if they did, they Rise, copied I the think, reboot. I think Rise did it also. What's that? It was like a it was like a high school show last year. It sucked. Oh. 
trying to be Degrassi. Mm -hmm. So um, this is Tori Spelling. We get this great shot of her Lucille Ball moment. Tori Spelling became a best-selling author and in 2014 reunited with Jenny Garth to executive produce and star in the series Mystery Girl. She played a ditzy, fame-hungry 90s TV star. I think that's favorable as well. It yeah. doesn't bring up her husband cheating on her and her crying while scrapbooking. No rude jokes, no tood. No, nothing and about her getting ripped off in the will. Yeah, I did want to say that Rise, that I said that show sucked, but it didn't, it didn't suck. If anyone is listening and they liked Rise or they worked on Rise, it didn't suck. Okay, fucking Aaron Spelling over here. Like, what are you doing? Like, I just you want your soul. Yeah, I just I watch a show about how hard it is making TV, or just watch the whole movie, and then I just realize I just you know okay flippantly. So the, the two hundred commuters out there who love all three hours of this show, just so you know, Jason liked the show Rise. Yeah, and if you or anyone you know happen to work on it while you're on your way to the factory, you probably work at that's three hours away. Because by good. the way, people. Listen to this on their whole... I'm like, you must be in LA or somewhere where you are driving way out of town. Yeah, road trip with your friend. Um, Oh, I would love that. Like, just like going on a bus trip and listening to 12 episodes of my podcast across the country. That would be amazing. You'd be a good travel companion. I, You know what? This is my rule. For every three hours in the car, there should be 20 minutes of talking. I like that. Yeah. You got to keep it real tight. You got to have like a fun convo and then you got to lean back and listen to a couple podcasts. And maybe a deep convo. Yeah. I've maybe some you do. very deep road trip convos. Can, but you condense it to that 20 minutes yeah. and then you both space out into the horizon. Yeah. Maybe you have a hot hour and a half, but that will be made up tomorrow when you drive for six hours straight in silence. Mm-hmm. Like you got to... Expectation management. Yeah. 100%. So Shannon Doherty later starred in the hit series Charms, produced by Aaron Spelling. And then they waited a minute. And then the reveal was she played a witch. Um, So rude. Yeah. So rude. And also, that's an amazing second act for her. Yeah. Is to be this iconic character on a syndicated show to then go into Charmed, which is now even more celebrated, I think, in like the retrospectively, I think people look back and are like, that was a little bit ahead of its time. Like, three women, like, doing it for themselves. Witches. Mm-hmm. Um, she was booted the same way that she was from Nano 2 and I think Rose McGowan came in to replace her, which is great because now we have two feminist icons um, heading up Charmed. But I think that people don't think enough about the fact that, like, she was able to land another syndicated hour-long drama yeah. that to this day plays and is celebrated. Like, she's I know she's gone through some tough times. Like, this was written before she was dealing with breast cancer and everything like that. I don't know how she's doing. She had a bunch of movies of the week. I hope she's doing well. And I think this writer is rude. And <laughs> <laughs> writing about... What I noticed about this movie was there were so many scenes of men in boardrooms just, like, talking about how to, like, manipulate women. Yeah. And talking about, like, literally this one girl. They were obsessed with talking about this one girl above her head. And at no point, except if it wasn't for Ian, no person would have ever spoken to Shannon and said, let me let me level with you, sweetheart. This is bad. It is playing out poorly this is more than just a personality issue you're a fucking criminal yeah like and And then the writer gets to be done with this and go home and collect a check but these are people's lives 
Totally. He's just being flippant and rude. And I think that, like, ultimately, whatever is... I don't think he set anything new in stone, but mm-hmm. I think he maintained a bad negative energy yeah. around this. With a really, like, bitchy vibe. So, him. let's do our scale. i got to get on a plane in the morning, and I've kept you too long. Um, but what's your favorite movie of all time? Uh, i got to go with, like, probably Casino. Casino. Or okay, Airplane. Great. Casino is great. Okay. Airplane's great, too, but let's go with Casino. So, Casino's number one. This movie, or um, I'm sorry, not this movie. Mother May I Sleep With Danger is number five. The most lifetime you have lifetime. On a scale of one to five, would you give this acting wise? Would you give this a one or a five, or somewhere in between? I would give it like a. It was pretty good. I would give it I like think a so too. It's got to be like a a three for me. I think it's a dead ass three as well because. Someone like Jenny Garth really carried this for me, mm-hmm. but there was great supporting and it kind of made up for everyone else. It's a three. I believed it. Believability of the world and characters. Now, this is where it's interesting because this is a true story, but I found this whole thing to be very unbelievable. 100%. And is that the magic of Hollywood where it's like sometimes we don't think about like how many strings are being pulled behind whatever? But this seemed, none of these people seemed real to me. No, and it just seemed very one-sided. And like you said up top, it was very cartoonish. It was one-dimensional. Yeah. Um, I want to give this a four. Do you yeah, agree? I'll go with four. Okay, creative use of words to avoid censorship. Now, this is what this category was fucking made for. It was a movie like this. Because this was a lot of, like, you don't know squat. Like, things like that. And I think this, I think this one for me was like, a four. This was pretty. Yeah. They. I would have to give it a three just because I didn't appreciate all the cheekiness. Let's do three point five because you also okay. brought up an interesting thing, which is very true, which is that there was definitely, especially with Shannon's character, there was definitely drug use going on. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's how she wound they up at work. To yeah, it. but there's never like. Hey, she's you know in a bathroom doing coke somewhere, and that's the subtext that's really missing. But yeah. we know it, but it's mm-hmm. never being said. Yeah. Um. All right, 3.5. Dialogue. I'm going with... It's like pretty good. Four, though. But Right, I was going to say, it's a two or a four. Yeah. Because it's either like... I think it's a four, I agree with you. Some parts were good, but other parts I just was groaning too much, not in the right way. It felt like an SNL sketch, like Mm -hmm. the sexual harassment scene, for example. Yeah. I was like, that'd be a great SNL sketch about whatever. Um, Wardrobe. I thought it was pretty good and yeah, it felt like the show. For me. Yeah, it felt like the show. Hair and makeup. Two. Two. It was ooh, God. Props were a one. <laughs> we unfortunately we don't do props. Wait a minute, hold on. Dude, first I don't know if we did we all just download a new Mac OS or something? Yeah. Cause mine is like I've been losing my notes and shit lately, like in the middle of recording, which has never happened. Music is a five. Oh yeah. Music is a hard five. Crying. We didn't really get any. There was crying. no crying. Really, I'm going to give it a one just because it didn't really exist. Victimization of the female character. V- huge. Which one did you think, Shannon? Shannon. Yeah. Okay. I mean, even though she was an unsympathetic character, it was it, it there. It was all boardroom scenes of this these old men being obsessed with her. Like right. In another world, I would have felt that Darren was the victim of this movie. But he wound up doing great mm-hmm. um, by playing by the rules. So do you think this is like closer to, I mean, in, in terms of Casino, do you think this is closer to a one or a five? I mean, Casino has huge. Right. So I got to throw it. I I mean, it's a one and a five. 
Let's do let's do a, a three. Okay, three. Got to do three. Cut, cut Failure and or refusal to jump to the logical conclusion. Um, again, usually with, this comes in more with horror movies. Yeah, this was people kind of were logical in this. I'm gonna give it a two, be. just yeah. because the only thing that really jumps out to me is why didn't anyone fucking talk to Sharon? Yeah. Um, drop plot lines. Um, n- none Didn't really. really have any. Let's give it a one. It and then font. Really, all we had was the, the titles, cool the splashing graphics, and then maybe if you want to count the ratings thing. I'm gonna go like a one on that because it it was pretty effective. Yeah, I'll hold it at one. Um, where are we at? Thirty one point five. Thirty one point five. That is a uh, pretty high. What did we get for the last one? Do you remember? Mm, that was Adam. Yeah. We got a 42. 42. So, you know what I will say? This was very much like a real movie. That's my yeah, takeaway. Totally. Um, Jason, thank you so much for being here. People can find you. You're, um, do you say Los Feliz or Los Feliz? I say both. I'll just go with Los Feliz this time. Los Feliz Daycare. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm at Los Feliz Daycare. And I'm JD Shapiro. JD Shapiro on the Insta. And you're the best. You've done Please Advise a hundred times and done this show before. I love doing and I just pods. love you. I have, I, love a, you I have a long relationship of adoring you. Sammy, thank you for being here at WAGS. Sorry I disappointed you with snacks. You guys have a good week and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to season four of Mother May I Sleep With Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.